Welcome to episode 50 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. We got a special one. We're talking about Lord of the Motherfucking Rings today. <laughs> uh, big, big 50. Uh, Between Fellowship, Two Towers, and Return of the King, the trilogy received 30 total nominations between the 74th, 75th, and 76th Academy Awards. Return of the King is tied at the very top with Ben Hur and Titanic for most wins at a ceremony with 11. 11. uh rightly so in my opinion we're talking about film royalty here my friend and i know you've been looking forward to this day oh my god since we had the like since we had the idea for this show lord of the rings has been on the horizon for me so the fact that we're here now is just gravy i'm so excited yeah and and of course these these episodes every fifth episode we do a we typically do a best picture showdown and for this, it just, it just would feel wrong to leave out Fellowship in Two Towers, right? Because Return of the King, of course, is the only, the only best picture winner. Uh, you have a beautiful mind beating Fellowship and Chicago beating Two Towers. To me, those are both mistakes. Uh, <laughs> and of course, of course, the Academy has made many of those. But, but they got it right with Return of the King. And that's why I think we can put it here today in place of a best picture showdown for the 50th episode. We've almost been doing this show for a year. Uh, We started last June, uh, June of 2020. And the first episode we did was Pulp Fiction and felt right to do a movie we love for the first episode. And here we are at the 50th to do a trilogy that I I feel like connects you and I uh, on a cinematic level because we both have our personal trilogies and franchises that we love, but this is the one that, bridges all all gaps and you and i are are just kind of on the same page with it it's it's a masterpiece it's one of the most humanizing fantasy dramas in history it makes me cry every time i watch it it's an experience and i've seen these movies a dozen times now and it does not get old it's it does not feel like i'm watching you know three three hour plus movies it really does just feel like i'm in a happy place when i watch these hundred percent. They, of course, we both uh, uh, did our different versions of rewatching them. I'll let you speak about how you got to see them in fucking theaters. <laughs> uh, but rewatching them with the intent of giving each film awards, which is what we're going to do today. We're going to give all three films awards. It, I, I just had the exact same feeling I do with all my favorite movies where the runtime does not does not matter. It's not something I think about because it just, every scene just kind of clicks, just makes sense. It moves like, like, you know, like it's fucking gravy and all the, all the, the casting decisions have just gotten better over time. You know, uh, like little stuff like, like Brad Dourif, like, man. And, and, you know, you, you just gain a whole whole new appreciation as you get older for, for fucking Viggo Mortensen, you know, and Sean Astin. These people that they just placed, how did they make these decisions so perfectly <laughs> for all these characters? It really, it, it really is a, a, a total achievement. It's a cinematic achievement, this trilogy, to come out three years in a row and just kind of dominate financially and dominate the Oscars. Well, and it came from a guy who was known mostly for grisly horror films, Peter Jackson. The yeah. Guy who oh. put New Zealand on the cinematic map with these films, showcasing the beautiful landscape of the country, the incredible uh, filmmakers there. The, the crew was all 
natives. It was all the New Zealand, you know, people, and they fucking killed it. Everybody yeah. in this film, from the fucking, you know, the actors to the directing, to the screenplay, to the visual effects guy, to the caterers, were incredible. <laughs> it's just, it's lightning in a bottle. And to get to see these films on the big screen. Yikes. Crazy. <laughs> was something I just kind of fell into. It was not planned. Um, <coughs> what happened was I had gotten tickets to see what I thought was a Q&A with Stephen Colbert hosting. Uh, it was, it's the, the 20th anniversary of Fellowship of the Ring this year. And already that's like, holy shit, where has the time gone? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it was Stephen Colbert interview. Uh, it was a live stream of a Q&A between Colbert interviewing Elijah Wood, Sean Astin, Dominic Monaghan, and Billy Boyd. And I thought, that's what I was going to see. I get there, and turns out it's Fellowship of the Ring before the Q&A. And I was like, holy shit, I'm watching Fellowship today. I did not know that. <laughs> and I was like, this is fantastic. I got to watch Fellowship. It was the uh, theatrical cut, but still... <laughs> still three hours yeah yeah we're i i you know i've been watching the extended cut for you know a decade now i don't even remember what's uh, yeah added <laughs> but yeah the q a yeah. was was really cool and then after the q a he said stay tuned for our second and third parts and they were doing two towers and return of the king the next two weeks so i immediately got tickets to that and the two towers q a was with kate blanchett vigo mortensen orlando bloom and um uh uh i don't remember the fourth <laughs> elijah um, no it was uh one second um it was um might have been just those three <laughs> uh well, that's a fantastic three. Jesus. Liv Tyler. That's who it was. Liv Tyler. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. So then Two Towers, and that was fantastic. And then Return of the King the following week with Ian McKellen, Andy Serkis, and Peter Jackson. <laughs> Christ. Yeah. So it was an, an incredible experience seeing those on the big screen, something I never thought I'd get to do. And yeah. I just was in awe the whole time. I was in tears. I was just glad that I got to be a part of this. And uh, that was, and then we had this episode. Like it was timed so perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, of course I'm going to do this. And yeah, my only regret is that you couldn't be there with me. Yeah, man. Of course, that's <laughs> such a cool experience. Uh, 2001, 2002, 2003. I was six, seven, and eight. So yeah, I did not see these in theaters when they came out, and I would say. It wasn't until probably 2004, like a year after they were all done to where like it was just kind of DVDs that my family just had. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that speaks a lot because, because these movies were movies that my parents felt were okay for us to watch because the content while gruesome and dark and, you know, violent, there's, there's not, you know, there's no blood, there's no sex, you know, it really, it really can be seen by a lot of people. It's very accessible. It's wholesome. Yeah. And it's, and it's, that's, you know, that's that Tolkien shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Tolkien at heart, you know? And 
that was, you know, the reason I could see it. You know, I was also like allowed to see parts of the Caribbean at that age. You know, these are the kind of adventure movies that I was exposed to. And it just swept me up like nobody's business right away. And then I remember vividly still playing the video games. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's like multiplayer. And I remember countless times playing with my older brother, Jeremy. Uh, my, both my older brothers, really. Uh, Jeremy was the one who kind of hogged it, though, right? Was like, is you know, I'm going to play as Aragorn. You can be whoever you want to be. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to get down and dirty. And it's, and it's just holds a very special place and from that first time I saw it as a nine or 10 year old, you know, being exposed to it, watching it at home, just being just, what the hell is all this? You know, just kind of, uh, kind of that first time you realize how amazing, you know, storytelling can be within the adventure genre. And that's, that's huge. That's huge for a child to kind of have that moment where they fall in love with, you know, the fantasy adventure, all all these kind of things. That's a really cool moment. And it was definitely a Lord of the Rings that I just totally opened my mind. And I, I, I will always respect it for that reason. And, and, and now when I watch them, they are just great fucking movies. <laughs> no wonder I was swept up as a nine or 10 year old, you know? And yeah. it's, it, it definitely is a, is one that I, I, I feel close to the people that are fans of it. I just feel close to them already, no matter what. And uh, this is coming from someone who hasn't even read the books. So, uh, you know, these, these movies are very important to me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I have not read the books either. Uh, I, I've read The Hobbit, but I have not yet tackled The Lord of the Rings. Same, same, yeah. <laughs> Hobbit, Hobbit's a cool book. Yeah. Um, Tolkien is not really, for me, you know, as far as if I'm going to read fantasy, I'm definitely going to go in a completely different direction. He, he uh, you know, I mean, it, it shows in Lord of the Rings. I think the, like, few little faults that, Lord of the Rings has is just a severe lack of diversity. And that's because Tolkien didn't really write characters with uh, depth that weren't white. And that kind of sucks, but um, I, you know, he he was very much like, Oh, the West is the West is good. The East is bad. And that's the only, those are like the only little flaws that I've ever found as I've, as I've, you know, watched these movies and, that's that really comes down to Tolkien as a writer. He was just kind of like uh, a little bit narrow minded. Well, it was like the thirties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, a lot of these characters, like, this is a world of race, like skin color. I mean, skin color doesn't really matter in this context here. I mean, this is essentially good versus evil. And I would fault, Peter Jackson more than I'd fault Tolkien in return in regards with diversity, considering the casting. As yes, for sure for casting. I, I'm more talking about Tolkien as a as a writer. He definitely didn't give. It was more like, oh, here's these dark skin characters. They're just bad. There wasn't really any depth yeah. to them. Okay. And then the characters who are good and are clearly you know English, right, <laughs> and Irish and whatnot. They're they're the good guys and eh, 
that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of fantasy, right? In the Western part of the world, you look at the West, you know, fucking Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, it's very much like the maps will correlate with you know a lot of what happens in real life, and that's unfortunate. But that's just kind of the perspective. Well, Tolkien was a vet of World War One. He very much wrote the orcs as an allegory for the Germans. Like that was his, that's what he was doing there. He was like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Mordor kind of resembles no man's land, you know, just this dark, desolate wasteland full of trenches. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. Not really subtle in that front. <laughs> you kind of get where he was coming from there, but you know, that is a, a fault of a lot of, you know, a lot of authors in general prior to the like the 70s. I mean, just diversity yeah. did not happen, regrettably. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's like where like a lot of people like like I like I'm much more gonna lean towards like someone like Kurt Vonnegut, who's you know definitely doing way different stuff with fantasy and kind of being totally wacky with it. That's more kind of like I feel like my generation's okay. We this kind of this guy kind of gets it, and some of the Tolkien stuff is like outdated, you know. And that's like you said, it's not. There's a lot of authors like that. I've. I've never really been drawn to classical literature, which I know is weird because I'm an English major. <laughs> I got that a lot. In fact, I bonded with one of my closest friends over like in college, my final year, because we both were English majors who fucking hated classical literature. <laughs> and that got us talking and then we were inseparable. But um, Perfect. Yeah. Hi, Shelly, if you're listening to this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I've always picked books that, I find interesting within the first two chapters. If -hmm. you can't grab me that front, like that quickly, I'm not going to read your book. So that's how I've always judged it. And there are some, you know, older books I do adore, like the Count of Monte Cristo is one of my favorite novels, but you know, everything has its issues and I don't really buy into generational stories or like anything I'm supposed to read. I've never thought Mm. like that. I read what I fucking want. I watch what I want. I, you know, I am who I am. Nobody tells me what I should like. Yeah, I, I understand that. I totally understand that. That's definitely one of the things that's really fascinating about our kind of uh, relationship with the Oscars is like, how dare you say this is the best movie, <laughs> but I'll watch every year. <laughs> you know, it's this fucking cat and mouse game. Uh, so, so silly, but we always do it. <laughs> I love it, man. Um, Lord of the Rings is a never-ending, never-ending discussion, no matter where you take it. And ultimately, uh, it's very dear to our hearts. And I, I, I want to, you know, I, I want to give awards out, but I also would like to kind of give give some respect to just the nominations and wins that each of these films got. Right? Of course. So I, I before we give our awards to fellowship and just just dive into the movies because with these awards man we are we're going to talk about these films and kind of dive into why we picked them why they're dear to our hearts because before we started recording we both were kind of like holy shit you know there's there are so many things you could choose for the inyo you know every time there's so many people that could be up for the psh uh it's it's going to be a lot of fun to do those but but i would like to take a look at the actual ceremonies and the 74th Academy Awards where fellowship competed. It, I mean, it did, it did really well. It was, you know, it got the most nominations uh, at the, at the ceremony with 13. It was tied for the most wins with a beautiful mind with four. 
you know, and lost best picture, but I think it, yeah, I think it did really well and is my personal favorite of the trilogy. Fellowship is, uh, they're, they're all three tens, but this is my favorite, you know, 10 of the group. This is the one that I, I still just, uh, I, I laugh a lot, a lot. I, I find that I find the comedic tone of it to be just pure genius at times. And I think just the kind of origin, you know, part of it is, is, is genius. Yeah. It's a very well-told story about, you know, an unlikely hero. And the hobbits are supposed to represent, you know, just us, regular people with no greatness in our lives beyond what we what finds us. And I love that. I love that there's these grandiose, you know, kings of old and wizards and dwarves and ancient elves and broken lines of kings. And our hero is this, you know, this guy and his gardener. Yeah. <laughs> Who are charged with the most dangerous and important mission in the history of this planet. And this is like, this is the, the goal. I, I love that. Fellowship has some of my favorite scenes in the entire trilogy. My personal favorite is Return of the King. Uh, I love finales and I love. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I love when a, when a franchise can stick the landing. And this movie has one of the greatest endings in history. <laughs> it's just so perfect. But yeah, yeah, I totally get why Fellowship's your favorite. Yeah, and I, I think Fellowship kind of, it, it does such a good job of never going too far, right? It stays honed in. You, you really do get to know, you know, Mary Pippin, Boromir. You know, you really get a, get a relationship with Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, especially Frodo and Sam. You really get to know these people. And by, by, that, by the end of that, when you're with Boromir and Lurtz, it's just a fucking shot to the heart. You know, it is <laughs> so rough. So rough, uh, that, that last last part of fellowship. Um, do you want to, do you want to just go through briefly the kind of nominations um, kind of start from the bottom? I guess it would be visual effects. Yeah. Yeah. We could do that. Yeah. I mean, uh, Lord of the Rings won this one. Um, <laughs> it beat AI, art, artificial intelligence and Pearl Harbor. What the hell? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> oh my God. That's not competition. <laughs> no, it really, it really is not. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings seen... changed the visual effects game forever. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not even a contest here. I haven't seen Pearl Harbor in ages, nor do I really want to go back to it. <laughs> I've never seen it because I have no really desire to watch a three and a half hour fake love triangle directed by Michael Bay. Like, who, who is this for? I've never. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> no, thank you. AI, I do like, but nowhere near as much as Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It, yeah, but pales in comparison. How does Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone not land a nomination here? <laughs> yeah, truly. Yeah, that is 2001. You're right. Holy hell. Harry Potter starts the same year. <laughs> ah, what a great year for franchises. Oh, yeah. I love 2001. This is an awesome year. We've done, we did an episode on In the Bedroom. We did Shrek. Yeah, we, we, we like this year. Yeah, we, we did a, one of my favorite Filmgasm episodes we did was uh, Training Day. Absolute blast. What a cool movie. We did that. Uh, uh, we did that along with Sinister. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A little Ethan Hawke action. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. I, I, I love this year. I love this year a lot. And Fellowship is right up there at the top. 
straight up visual effects is one it was going to take. I mean, just, you know, with Peter Jackson and Andy Serkis working together on this, you know, this revolutionary, uh, I, these films are 20 years old and they look amazing. There, there's no, like, there's no, you know, gap in the visual effects game here. You know, films this old, usually you can kind of tell they look fake. These films still look amazing. They look better than the Hobbit films. Like, how is that possible? Oh, yeah. Andrew Lesney, man. The oh. cinematographer, him and Peter Jackson, just crushing it, knocking out of the park. <laughs> All three of these movies that have the same director-cinematographer combo, and you can tell. Yes. Yes, you can. All right. Where to next? Ah, uh, yeah. At the here, here's the thing. The thing is about Lord of the Rings. You know, the the ones that won are all at the bottom here. <laughs> <laughs> with Fellowship, they're all right here at the bottom with best makeup, best cinematography. Andrew Lesney. Uh, I, I are the are these movies that you do they even have a chance in these categories? A Beautiful Mind, Moulin Rouge for best makeup. Not really, right? No. <laughs> and best best cinematography, no chance. I mean, Moulin Rouge. The man who wasn't there. I love Deacons, but not 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 here. Not in this one. Black Hawk Down. What? <laughs> no, no competition. <laughs> I I have not seen Amelie or Black Hawk Down, but I can tell you that Lord of the Rings deserve all of this, like all of the wins. I have no. There's no competition here. I I love these movies too much to really even, you know, argue against anything here. <laughs> yeah. We, um. Best best sound. It loses uh, to Pearl, to uh, Black Hawk Down, mm. and that's that. You, you hate to see that. I think you would like Black Hawk Down. That's I know why, I would. That's a movie I, I've owned for quite some time. I, I do think you'd, you'd you'd enjoy it, but it wouldn't change your mind about, <laughs> about Fellowship. Come on, <laughs> I'm so happy it won score. I think like my favorite thing about these films is Howard Shore's incredible score. And uh, up against, you know, John Williams with two nominations here. That's pretty sweet. AI and Harry Potter. And Randy Newman. Come on. <laughs> and then James Horner. Like some incredible names in, in movie music here. But this was Lord of the Rings. Uh, I have the whole damn, I have all three scores on CD on my, you know, and on my iPod. Like these are, this is beautiful music. <laughs> oh. it, yeah. Yeah, it really is. Howard Shore knocks out of the park and i love the titles of the tracks because there will be kind of two tones within one track sometimes and it just kind of throws you off it's really cool really cool stuff it, it the enyo awards for this I, is just a toss-up because it's yeah. every single piece is, is is beautiful um monsters inc would probably be my second vote my second choice out of those for score if we're talking like second choice it's harry potter for me like i i I consider that score that's fair nearly as iconic uh as lord of the rings it's definitely lasted longer you know it's a more recognizable tune there's no real definitive theme to the lord of the rings that you know a lot of people like hum on a daily basis i've heard so many motherfuckers humming the harry potter theme (laughs) yeah i yeah i almost argued with you but i was like oh it's just me who hums that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i get you (laughs) I'm talking dun, 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 dun. I do that. I'll do that just while I'm at work. Like it's, <laughs> it's just ingrained in my, you know, in my mind. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the plebes, the regular people who don't do this constantly. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, yeah, I totally, I totally see that the Harry Potter score, all of it, you know, when you, you can just hear that little, and you know, right away what's going on. And it's, uh, it's, it's pretty iconic. What an iconic year for those two to go against each other and for John Williams to be there twice. I know it's pre- crazy. Pre- pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, when we did the Shrek episode, I, I, I thought a lot about Monsters, Inc. and how I think now, and, and I, I love how it's in this group. I think now it's just, it's just a, a bit underrated. It is, it is, one of the one of the most you know precise and solid Pixar films, and I think that Monsters University just kind of tainted it a bit. Uh, but I, I love that it's I love that it's represented here a few times at the seventy fourth Academy Awards. There's so many films in this particular Oscars that are so iconic, but still, you know, reached for, uh, reached for a prequel that never surpassed the original. You know, they all flew too close to the sun. You've got mm-hmm. Hobbit trilogy. You've got Fantastic Beasts. You've got Monsters University. Just nobody, you know, was happy with their billions. They just had to keep going. Ah, disgusting. You're right. You're so right. What an interesting, yeah, it's already come full circle 20 years later. Um, disappoint, dis- disappointing stuff. And uh, hey, Jimmy Neutron, shout out, shout out to Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, also competed against Monsters, Inc. and Shrek. Uh, really good stuff. Now, we can get into some, some, some pretty gritty uh, categories here now for, for fellowship. Uh, some stuff that it lost, and I think we can have, have a bit of a discussion here. Okay. Um, I, I guess we'll go straight to screenplay. What do you think? All right, let's go to screenplay. Uh, yeah, a, a Beautiful Mind. This is, this is of course... Adapted screenplay, of course. Uh, A Beautiful Mind took this home. It beat Shrek, Lord of the Rings, In the Bedroom, and Ghost World. Now, Shrek, I I love love that it's here. Uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, obviously, we'll talk about. In the Bedroom is a a film we both really enjoyed, and we got to, I think it was episode four, had an absolute blast talking about that one. And I can't wait to do uh, I can't remember what the other film's called that Todd Field has done. Uh, I can't remember, but I can't wait to do that one on this show. Is that Little Children? I think so. I think that's right. I think so. Because, yeah, it, it, In the Bedroom just pops up in my mind. Like, every now and again, I just think about Tom Wilkinson and Sissy Spacek going, going head-to-head. To, head to head. Uh, Ghost World, that's a movie that I've seen just once. I don't think it totally belongs here. I enjoyed it, but I just, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I feel like there's other films I would probably put here. And then A Beautiful Mind Wins, which brings up the conversation of how did it beat Fellowship of the Ring? <laughs> this makes no sense to me. It makes no sense at all that the guy who wrote fucking Batman and Robin even has an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, we don't, for, you know, people don't forget. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the fact you know, adapting Tolkien to screen was a mammoth uh, responsibility, and the fact that you know uh, Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, and Philippa Boyens even like made it into a coherent film, let alone did it three times, give them the Oscars. I mean, that's amazing. You know, they they turned this 
you know, hard to follow in some aspects, fantasy epic into yeah. a very easy to follow, very easy to get sucked in, beautiful work of art. And I, I want them to get all the awards for that. And they did eventually with Return of the King, but they should, this should have been a three, a three time clean sweep and that would have been fucking spectacular. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, there's, there's some pieces too of, of, of this that, just it just translates so goddamn well to the screen um and of course the cast does a great job with this stuff and kind of just immersing themselves into it but like look at like hugo weaving he is so locked in the whole time so locked in and they, you know they have the advantage of all the actors and actresses being just fucking you know they're they're totally there they're they're doing their job like to the best of their ability but the, there, there's stuff in here, you know, like Bilbo Baggins, do not take me if you're a cheap conjurer. You're like, yeah, these little lines, and, and then you know, hobbits, four hobbits, you know, this stuff is 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 gold. It's from you know, super dramatic and really funny, and this kind of it, it's all sentimental at the same time. It's just brilliant stuff. I'm always in awe when a screenwriter can make very serious actors say nonsense words in a serious way that doesn't make you laugh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 90% of what this franchise is. It's <laughs> yes, nonsense yes. words that you are like, Oh shit. The whole time. Like you were like, you, this serious. you shouldn't, but you do. It's, I don't know how to do that. That's a, that's an art form. And I've never been able to figure out how to make that happen, but here it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, this is it. Lord of the Rings is the best example where the people that are on the outside looking in at Lord of the Rings and they're just like hey, fucking nerds and, and, and you're crying over Ian McKellen, you know, because yeah. he's you believe every, you know, every word he's saying and you, you, you cry because Sean Astin has just sliced, sliced your heart in half, you know. And, and you just can't explain it other than I, I, I love these movies. I love this storytelling. I love these actors, these characters. And the people that are outside looking in just aren't going aren't gonna to ever get that. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you speak of when it, 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 it is nonsense. You know, some of the stuff Theoden says, it's like, what? <laughs> what? If I said it, I would sound like a insane, crazy person, you know? Uh, <laughs> but he, you know, it, it gets delivered. Even when you quote it, you sound weird saying these words, but they don't. You buy it. I, it's, it's this commitment that you need to sell this stuff. Like Aragorn, some of the shit he says is like wacky, but Vigo's so, you know, focused that you just, it, it washes over you and you don't even notice. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, of course. <laughs> we cannot deny. <laughs> Oh my god, dude! Uh, yeah, it's so so silly that it's so good, and yeah, all the all these people that we're gonna, of course, give we're gonna be giving awards to some of these people, and I, I try to choose the people that to me were the most locked in in these movies because everybody's just immersing themselves and soaking up the beautiful scenery and just kind of chewing on everything that's going on, and it's very cool. Tolkien invented a language. And he needed a story to write 
around that language. That's that's basically what happened. Like he wrote, he created the Elvish language and was like, I could. This needs a story, and then Lord of the Rings happened. With that in mind, like this is the greatest afterthought in human history. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Brilliant. Yeah. Even when they're speaking Elvish, you like you should be laughing off, but you're just like, this is beautiful. Yeah. Sure. Sounds good. What do you Elvis see, Legolas? Yeah, yeah, Legolas. What do they see? Yeah, <laughs> just, just yeah, just totally buying in, and that's that's a big thing that you and I clearly, when we first became friends, we we clearly realized that both of us are willing to put our walls down and buy into something, put everything to the side, and just watch something for two to three hours, and let it, like you said, just wash over you like a fucking wave, and that's those are my favorite people to talk to. (laughs) I'm well aware that if there was a cult out there that was based around movies, I'd probably be a part of it. (laughs) Probably already are. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. We kind of created our own, didn't we? Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are creating our own language. Uh, Best supporting actor. Mm. This is, this is fun because Mr. Ian McKellen is, is here. Uh, John Voight is here. Ben Kingsley is here. Ethan Hawke and Jim Broadbent beats all of them yeah uh for for his performance in iris uh, of course ethan hawk and training day um john void and ollie and uh, uh ben kingsley and sexy beast which you just saw not too long ago tell us tell us about it sexy beast is a wild fucking movie it's hell yeah not at all what you'd expect it's completely subverses your ex- subverts your expectations it's a gangster movie that focuses on the human aspect of these people and like you know what do these gangsters really want from life? And like, is there a way to get out without hurting somebody? And turns out, no, the answer is no, there's not. <laughs> but Ben Kingsley plays a psychopath named Don, Don Logan, who is absolutely like committed to getting his buddy Ray Winstone to leave retirement for one last job. And his commitment, it turns crazy. It, it's, a, it's a great movie. Uh, it's them two and Ian McShane as crazy London gangsters. Beautiful. Kingsley's committed. I'm glad he got nominated here. Uh, yeah. I've not seen Iris. That's the only one here I haven't seen. Yeah, I have not seen that one either. I like Ollie. Um, but my vote would be, of course, Ian McKellen if I had to choose between the ones I've seen. Uh, but yeah, I w- I would, I w- I've always wanted to see Iris. I love, I love trying to watch the best supporting actor wins, right? Those are some of my favorite my favorite awards, uh, a lot of, a lot of really cool nom- nominees in that category over its, over the history of the Oscars. And I, I, I just, I would, I would like to cross that one off. Um, now that is, that is it for performers. I know. <laughs> that's just kind of crazy, isn't it? Oh, for three movies. That's the only nomination for acting this, this franchise ever got. I, I can't believe that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. In fact, I cut, Andy, I, Andy yeah. Circus alone should be in here <laughs> yeah no kidding uh, yeah really go down the line Kate Blanchett uh, I think Viggo Mortensen I think I think Sean Astin I, I mean Brad Dourif Bernard Hill Christopher yeah, Lee yeah I I think Carl Urban is like wonderful in it I think there's so many Awesome. Sean Bean. Holy shit. John Noble, Miranda Otto, David uh, Wenham. So, like, everybody is. Liv Tyler. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh. Elijah fucking Wood, man. <laughs> this is a American, English, all these, you know, it's so cool. So cool, this cast and how well they did. And it's just mind-boggling. I love Ian McKellen. And Gandalf's always been my guy, always been my favorite character throughout the trilogy. I love that he's there, but it just it's just so crazy that not a shout-out to anyone else. In three yeah. movies, just, just kind of crazy. You know, McKellen was this close to becoming Dumbledore, too. Oof, man, like, that would have been too much. After Richard Harris died, they went to McKellen and asked, yeah. him, would you like to do it? And he said, like, he didn't want to, like, step into Richard Harris's shoes. I think they were friends, and he didn't want to, you know, do that. He also was afraid of playing too many iconic characters. He played Gandalf. He played Magneto. He didn't want to also be Dumbledore. He wanted to give an opportunity to another actor, and it ended up going to Michael Gambon. But how close were we to Gandalf and Dumbledore played by the same man? That would have been, yeah, that would have been too much. That's that's like share the share the load, you know. That's like Chris Pratt playing the you know playing Star Lord and also playing the lead in the Jurassic World stuff. It's like, come on, let's get let's get let's get some other faces around here for for these <laughs> franchises. Yeah, it's there should be a, a limit, and I'm glad Ian McKellen was like, no, 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 no. But. <laughs> Gandalf the Grey, it, it may be his greatest performance. It's, it's so warm and, like, you know, he's got this, like, you know, this friendly old man thing going on, but also beneath that is, like, the most powerful being on Earth, and you, you, you feel that. And is his willingness to, like, to not want anyone to get hurt, you know, to follow Frodo into the darkness just to make sure he's okay. That's the whole reason Gandalf's there, is to protect Frodo. That's what he cares about more than anything. And mm, they're, like, their back and forth is one of my favorite things about this movie is, you know, Ian McKellen and Elijah Wood. It's- oh, oh, yeah, right from the get-go, right? You have the kind of kick-ass, you know, quick origin story of the rings and what the rings mean and how you get the one ring. And, and then you have this lovely, lovely score come about and then you see the Shire and you got Frodo in fucking Gandalf going back and forth. It, it is a, the perfect introduction again for anyone to kind of fall in love with this, with this franchise right away. It's so good. Starting off with Ian McKellen, Elijah Wood dialogue is perfect. I think I like Gandalf the gray a little bit more than I like Gandalf the white. I think Gandalf the white's a little, you know, too like, you lean more towards the like powerful wizard part of it and not the kindly grandpa thing. I think like Gandalf the gray had this perfect like duality thing about him. I still love Gandalf the white, just Gandalf the gray is, 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 is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) I'm with you on that big reason why fellowship's my favorite uh, of the trilogy. Now what we're, we're to the two big, you know, two massive awards. Uh, the best director and best picture. So David Lynch, Peter Jackson, Robert Altman, Ridley Scott, those guys lost to Ron Howard for A Beautiful Mind. Uh, you, you, spoke how you, you spoke about how you haven't seen Ridley Scott's Black Cock Down, but I know you have seen David Lynch's Mulholland Drive and Robert Altman's Gosford Park. Yes. Now, this 
this is tough for me because I'm really biased. Mulholland Drive is definitely my favorite movie from 2001. It's one of my favorite movies ever, period. Somewhere in the top 10 probably for me. I just, you know, it's, it's comfort food, right? And my bias is like, yeah, give David Lynch the fucking Oscar, right? Like, he's he's the man. He never he he never won. He's in the he's in like the Alfred Hitchcock group. Paul Thomas Anderson, David Fincher. These guys haven't won Best Director. What? Yeah. But when I'm being honest with myself and setting aside personal favorite and best, and it says best director, it's got to go to Peter Jackson. Like, come on, what are we doing? This is the same answer for all these all these categories we've talked about. Is come on, what? How do you? How do you? What, were you, were you watching the same movies? Probably not. Well, now you know. We know the Oscar. No, no we know that. Yeah, fifteen minute clips, if that. <sighs> but yeah, Peter Jackson should have gotten Best Director for all three of these films. It, you know, he was the he was the guy at the top. He was the guy whose vision was being you know visualized here, and. It's, it's phenomenal. It's, I just I want to stress the fact that these films hold up twenty years later, yeah. visually yeah. and you know cinematically, they're they're going to last forever. And Peter Jackson is a giant part of that. Uh, his direction is what created these fantastic pieces of art. And I I wish you know he got one he got one of them, but again, clean sweep. <laughs> yeah just like that adapted screenplay yeah it's kind of be a clean sweep uh yeah it's it's got moments there's moments in the movie and this is when you know yeah something has really lasted some of the best moments of the whole trilogy are are, are not with actors and dialogue some of them are shots of these just fucking crazy beautiful mountains Sometimes it's Gandalf just riding through a field, you know, and it's, it's just, just decisions on decision on decision on decision, choice after choice after choice, edit after edit after edit. And these, those things totally matter. And they make this, this experience on experience. That's why it's experience is because of that kind of visual, you know, the, the, the mind, the, the mind games that it's playing visually with you is, how distracting it is. And then you're like, holy shit, this, this story is so intense and so good that the balance is kind of through the roof. So that that's what I'm looking for when I watch movies <laughs> is, is kind of that perfect balance. And, and yeah, Peter Jackson had it right away in fellowship. It's yeah, it's kind of, kind of flawless. And I like a beautiful mind, but mm, it's, it's, it's okay compared to fellowship. Well, a big part of it is New Zealand itself. You know, this film like all three yes. of these films utilize the landscape so beautiful, like so perfectly. There's so few sets on these films because most yeah. of the film just in the natural environment of New Zealand that had been relatively untouched by film. Like this was, you know, nobody really thought to do this in New Zealand, but it was so perfect. It looked untouched by man. You believe that this is a world that Middle Earth would exist in. And oh, it, the film kind of, it, it made itself. Almost like it just all the pieces fell into yeah. so easily, and here we are. Yeah, so brilliant. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. How, how you kind of describe that? It's 
it's it's kind of folds over itself it's like <laughs> it kind of knows its, its advantages and just kind of uses it over and over and being on location for so much of these 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 films is such an advantage you know and uh, again i i think peter jackson and the his you know partnership over all three movies with andrew lesney is, is very very important and you would love to see Lesney got the win here, but you would love to have seen Peter Jackson also get the win. It just makes sense. <laughs> yeah, of course it does. But uh, best picture, best picture is, um, is, uh, you know, Moulin Rouge. It's a tad different than the best director group. It's Moulin Rouge. It's Lord of the Rings in the bedroom, Gosford Park and the winner of beautiful mind. Obviously we think fellowship should have won. What should get second? Uh, for me, it's in the bedroom. Yeah, hell yeah hell yeah incredible damn near flawless movie and in some years i would say it should win the best picture entirely possible it's a great drama great thriller that as we said in our fourth episode is relatively under you know overlooked but at this point Oscar park is a lot of fun um robert altman obviously a kind of a legend in his own right he's made a lot of movies a guy i've just kind of tapped into, you know, very seen very few movies, just three or four. And, but each time I'm kind of, I kind of understand, you know, the, the kind of praise he gets by, by, by cinephiles. Uh, Moulin Rouge is a film I haven't seen in quite some time. Um, but Boz Lerman is, is not really my kind of guy. Yeah. And so I, I fear that I won't like this movie as much as I did when I saw it years ago, but yeah, this is a beautiful mind. Just not a movie I think about too much. Um, it, it's not one that has lasted kind of culturally, and so I, I just you you would love to see Fellowship win here for movie culture, and just because it's kind of the best movie out of these five. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking back, this could have been a triple crown. It could have been something yeah. amazing that would never happen again, but it didn't. It didn't. <laughs> well, what we can do is uh, dive into what we love about it specifically and give awards out. You know, we want to do uh, the Tarantino for best line or best quote. We're going to give out the Ennio Morricone for best music moment, which, of course, we've talked about Howard Shore. Very difficult. Uh, you can kind of choose anything there. Can't go wrong. We got the Philip Seymour Hoffman for best performance of each movie. It's going to be a lot of fun to see where we go there. And then the Roger Deakins for best scene. So I'll let you take it away. Start fellowship off. Uh, and then after this, we'll get into the 75th Academy Awards. Okay. So my Tarantino for fellowship. Uh, these were very difficult. I just like to press Yes. Um, all of these. Very. Narrowing down favorites in movies that you've loved for years are next to impossible. But... This, really? Yeah. Oh boy. So I, I went with my gut because there's, there's a single line in fellowship that always gives me chills just because of the implications of it and what I know will happen later. It's when Gandalf is trapped on the roof of Saruman's tower in Isengard Oof. and Saruman is threatening him and torturing him, but Gandalf has a, you know, an Eagle coming to help him out. So he gives Saruman one last bit of advice before he jumps off to, to safety. 
And he tells Saruman, there is only one Lord of the Ring, only one who can bend it to his will, and he does not share power. And then he leaps off the tower. It's beautiful. Every time I'm like, fuck yeah, Gandalf, get it. <laughs> so cool. God, that, that, those moments when, they, when, they're, when they're just fucking fighting, you know, two wizards. It is something to behold. And the stakes are so high right there, right? You know, you, you're kind of just like, oh, shit, you know? You're, you're just kind of getting introduced into this magnificent world, but at the same time realizing how, how fucking dark it is. Yeah. And it, it's, that's beautiful stuff. When he jumps, oh, and well, just falls, yeah, it's so beautiful. It's quintessential fantasy. You know, you've got this vibrant, cre- creative world of peace that this darkness is trying to destroy, that's that's kind of the the this movie really was I mean this this book the Lord of the Rings was the template for so much fantasy to come everything yeah. you can trace every fantasy story post like 1940 to the Lord of the Rings for sure for and, sure oh I love it yeah you can't you can't help but be influenced by it if you're kind of in that world uh, I also chose a, a Gandalf line um. And I'm glad you brought up just a little while ago, you, you brought up the kind of Ian McKellen, uh, Elijah Wood banter at the very, very beginning of the movie. After we're told, you know, what, what this is and what they're all these rings and but one ring to rule them all, you know, and you're kind of like, what? Uh, I still, I'm still just, my eyes get big there, you know, when that that's all happening and you see, the title title of the movie and you're just yeah it just takes you back it takes you back to a really special place um gandalf shows up to the shire right and frodo hears him and he you know he starts running through and it's just like this this little hobbit and i'm still amazed at all the editing and how they really make them all look tiny <laughs> <laughs> it's just incredible stuff um but they're they're just having a bit of fun here and there's a, there's a line that just has stuck with me since I was a child and, you know, t- at nine or 10 years old and is still something that makes me very happy today. And Gandalf says, a wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one I've always wanted, like on a T-shirt sort of thing. It's uh, a, a brilliantly delivered line. and each time now still you know this these movies surprise me when i rewatch them there's little things and this time around it was the screenplay it was i forgot how sharp how precise and to the point it is how simple but complex it is you know all the the balance of it is is genius you know it's superb yeah and gandalf just gets some of the best shit. <laughs> he gets some of the best shit to say. <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't bring up just one bit of dialogue from Gandalf that has kind of been of inspirational to a lot of people. I know it's helped me find peace in dark times. It's um, in Moria when Frodo mm. is lamenting the choices that has led him, that have led him here. And he says, you know, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf replies, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. 
All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. That is oh, yeah. beautiful and one of the most compelling and inspirational movie quotes of all time. And I, I think it yeah. happened a lot. Oh, me too, man. Same. Yeah. I, I, I find these movies to be oddly, uh, not even oddly, not in my mind oddly, but I think people find it to be odd just how inspired I get by them, you know? Yeah. Uh, they just simply make me happier. And that's one of my favorite things about that movies can do. <laughs> me too. I, these, are, these have been some of my favorite movies for as long as I can remember. I honestly cannot remember the first time I watched them. It's that, you know, it's been so ingrained into my DNA that it's just part of me. And yeah. I love it. There's so few films that are like that. And there are films I go to for, you know, a rainy day, films I go to when I'm depressed, films I go to when I just want to see somebody, you know, have a victory. I want to see someone win one. I'll go to Lord of the Rings because I know someone's going to win one. <laughs> and <laughs> it's going it to be a good, it's going to be a good victory. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh man. So good. Well, the, the Inyo, here, of course, you talked a lot about Howard Shore. What what did you pick? What from from Fellowship? What piece of the score did you choose? I know you didn't go with Anya. <laughs> May it be it's beautiful, but no. Yeah, it is beautiful, but no. And I, I I much prefer the music in the movie rather than the credit song. So I, I try to pick all the stuff that's happening in the movie. Yeah, much as I love Into the West by Annie Lennox. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> um. My, I have always had the same favorite score from Fellowship, and it's the Bridge of Khazad-dûm. <laughs> oh yeah, hell yeah! From Moria, and it's so cinematic and exciting, and you know it combines. It kind of bleeds into like the Balrog's theme, and gets progressively darker, and then explodes again with the with the death of Gandalf, and becomes this sad, kind of angelic cry. It's a gorgeous bit of score and really kind of encapsulates everything I love about Lord of the Rings, the darkness, the divine and everything in between. Yeah. What's, what's between like heaven and hell. Yeah. yeah just pretty much fucking, fucking cool as shit. Yeah. I, I, I've been listening to this all week. Uh, these, these, these scores and I've changed my mind so many times I've written down different, different tracks, but today Today I wrote down one for each movie and for this one for fellowship, it's the track titled many meetings. And it is, it is when the fellowship finally, they finally figure out what the fellowship is. And when Elrond is like, all right, you guys are the fucking fellowship of the ring, you know? And it's before all of that discussion happens. There's just a really, really lovely, lovely piece happening, but it's kind of daunting at the same time, you know, something's on the horizon, but there's hope right here. There's hope on the screen. There's hope. Cause you've got these nine companions, you know, and they're ready to, like you said, fucking try to save the world. So it's, it's pretty, pretty fucking dope. Um, but there, yeah, you can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. Every choice made is, is brilliant, you know, and it matches, you know, same way John Williams does with all of his, you know, legendary stuff. It matches each moment. So well, the darkness, the good, the hope that, you know, all of those things, the, the music just catches those tones, those emotions perfectly. I agree. One of my favorite tracks off the first 
movie is called Concerning Hobbits. Yeah. Oh, dude. The introduction to the Shire and this beautiful little corner of the country mm-hmm. untouched yeah. by the darkness of, of Mordor. Just completely blissfully unaware that anything outside this little area is happening. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. the quaintness and the beauty of it and the way the score, the, the bouncy score reminds you that as dark as the world can be, there's always those who can find comfort in the little things. And yeah. that's, that's a good feeling to have. Yeah. And how about the, the track, the, the kind of the music that plays when the ring rates are just on it, you know, and they're screaming, ah! it just gets really, really intense. It feels like someone's up behind coming up behind you. Oh my God. I love that shit. Thank you for doing a Nazgul impression. That was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, good. Their music Strider, is fucking Strider. You know, I love how Aragorn's called Strider at first. Uh, I always, I always kind of forget those little things. You're like, oh yeah, fucking. <laughs> well, I love that. You know, everybody is where they need to be and everyone gets an arc and everyone's arc is satisfying. You know, Aragorn is running from his past. He doesn't want to be a king. He wants to be his own man, but he accepts the fact that the world needs him. The world needs a king. And he owns up to that. And, but it never feels forced. It feels like a genuine story of a man who, you know, the whole idea of, you know, he who doesn't want the crown should have the crown. It's, it's perfect. And yeah, I think everyone's music, Aragorn's music especially, gets progressively more badass as the films progress. Yeah. And yeah, by the time Return of the King rolls around, the dude's got a fucking <laughs> orchestra behind him. It's yeah, fantastic. Pretty dope. They just add <laughs> instruments as they go. Yeah. yeah. It's so uh, cool. You feel it. It's, you know, his presence grows with the music. Yeah, totally. Totally, man. Oh, I love it so much. Uh, I'm glad we're going to be able to keep talking about the music as we go. Uh, wh- who, who, who wins the movie here as far as performance goes? Who gets the Philip Seymour Hoffman for you? These were the most difficult ones to pick straight up. Uh, everyone is absolutely phenomenal in these films yeah i had to kind of pick you know a film at a time like who does their best work in this movie yeah and that is (laughs) again i spent hours figuring this out (laughs) i I did not manage my time well (laughs) (laughs) but i had to go with my gut and my gut said sean bean great pick great great pick Boromir's arc in this film is so goddamn sad, especially when you add on the extended cut scene from Two Towers where we meet Boromir in Osgiliath talking to his father about why he must go to Rivendell and retrieve the ring. That scene, I can't believe it was cut. It's so crucial to understanding Boromir's motivations. Anyway. (laughs) So, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Boromir represents man in this universe, you know, the realm of man. And he is easily corrupted. He is quick to anger and he is untrustworthy that's the such a small such a small thing (laughs) we know from the get-go this motherfucker is going to betray frodo yeah 100 percent. it's not even try to hide it yeah but what you don't expect is the regret and the redemption and that is what got him here for me this you know where he wakes up after almost taking the ring and he's like oh god what have i done and then he gives his life to, to save Mary and Pippin and tells like his dying words are, you have to like, save them. They took, they took the little ones. You have to save them. And that little bit with Aragorn where Aragorn, you know, says, I will not let our people fall. And Boromir has the like, our people like moments. 
I, I tear up every time. Boromir, like, I love his story so much. And then in Return of the King, where you meet his father and you understand, you know, as bad as Boromir was, he never let himself go too far. He never became his father. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Sean Bean. I, I could talk about Boromir all day. Yeah, it's definitely one of the most, like, brilliant plot lines of the whole thing. <laughs> and he, he, he totally wins, wins this for you with, I mean, what he's doing in that last bit where his, like, last breaths, you know, the sacrifice and as he gets shot three times by fucking lurch this fucking lebron james fucking monster orc just shredding just destroying and and then of course aragorn's fight with him is fucking badass as shit you know so surrounding surrounding boromir's you know death is is aragorn's like i gotta finish this fucker first you know because and and all of that is so brilliant and boromir Sean Bean, those that that you know, those last breaths are pure cinematic gold. And of course, he gets to go on and be in Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> what a great casting that was. First of all, the bit where Aragorn stabs Lurtz and Lurtz grabs the sword and leans into it and roars in his fucking face. Boom. And then gets his head sliced. Yeah. I just had genius. to bring that shit up. And yeah, second, genius. <laughs> um Gandalf, Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas, Frodo, Sam, they have three movies to establish their arc and finish off their characters and become who they're supposed to be. Boromir gets two and a half hours. Three if you can. And, and not and not even, because he doesn't even show up until what, Rivendell? I yeah. mean, yeah, he doesn't show up until the meeting. So it's like he's not even in the first like hour and 15 minutes. And even and in he, that... In that bit at Rivendell, we, we get a perfect insight to his character as, you know, he's the representative of Gondor, the, the land that has been, you know, bleeding to keep these people alive. And he's angry and he wants, yeah. he wants some goddamn satisfaction. Like, you get it. But, you know, and then to be put down by Aragorn, the man that everyone says is his king, but he will not bow to a ranger from the north. Like, you just, it's so well established that this is no one to be trusted, but it completely reverses it when you really learn who he is and why he's here. It's, it's so well written. It's yeah. Genius stuff. Good, great pick. I certainly thought about him. Thought, uh, like you, I thought about this forever. And, but I'm, I'm with the Academy. I'm with the Academy here. Uh, Ian McKellen as Gandalf. Yeah. Gandalf the Grey, specifically. And I'll just, to, just to go ahead and talk about why my favorite bits... I'll talk about my deacons as well, and you can finish your deacons off after me. Um, it's to me got to be his showdown with the with the Balrog. Um, what is better than a wizard and a giant, you know, demon just facing off? And of course, the famous line of "You shall not pass" is a part of our culture. It's totally a part of our culture now for twenty years straight. It even gets referenced in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jason Siegel references it, you know, like it gets, it, it's, it, it's a part of American and world culture at this point. And that bit when he, especially when you don't know what's going to happen in two towers 
you really do think he's dead. You know, you really think he is, he is like really dead. Well, in a way, Gandalf the gray is dead. He is, he is. But you do, you, you think as a kid, when you first see this, you think he's gone. Like yeah, he's not, he's not coming back. Yeah. This guy just went down a hole with a demon. And then of course in two towers, they show him fucking grab the sword and shink, you know, and go down. And there's that beautiful shot of them coming down the, coming down the fucking shoot. It is like, ah, it's the coolest shit ever. You know, it's, it's the most metal part of all of Lord of the Rings is Gandalf and the Balrog facing off. It's the coolest, most badass part of the whole trilogy is that image of them running through Moria and the bridges falling and dude, that everything about that bit is genius. And Ian McKellen, I don't really even know how does one go to a place where he's, what is he even screaming at? You know, cause obviously this is a giant demon thing. And in 2001, you know, you got to think he's just doing this stuff on his own Ian McKellen. He's just acting. He's just so locked in that he makes you believe that he is facing down this giant fucking scary ass monster. And that takes it away. You know, that should be the scene that's in the fucking Oscar clip is him screaming. You shall not pass. And it, and and us believing it. It's the best stuff, best stuff in all of the movies. This is like, he is why I love this movie the most. Ganoff the gray is, one of my favorite movie characters ever. That's why I gave him my Tarantino. That's why he's right here. And that's why he's in my Deacons is all that stuff. And the way he looks at Elijah Wood, you know, the way him and Frodo lock eyes is so incredible. And then of course there's kind of the slow-mo of Aragorn's pulling Frodo up the stairs and you're just like, Oh fuck me, man. You know, shit is going downhill. Boromir's dead. Gandalf's dead. What are we doing? You know? And for a minute there, you're like an Infinity War territory. It is dark. It's dark, 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 dark. And I love that. Those are my, those are my favorite parts of franchises is when they go there. Like Half-Blood Prince, when they go there and you're like, what? <laughs> this, this is what's happening now? And I, I love when that happens in, in uh, fantasy adventure movies. Yeah, I no arguments here. It, Gandalf the Grey is, you know the leader of their fellowship. He's there, you know, the one they all believe in, the one they all follow and trust. To lose yeah. him is to is the death of the fellowship. Like there's nowhere to go from there. And you feel that. Like they need like the push, you know, from Galadriel to really believe that they can pull this off. And for Frodo to then, you know, try to do it on his own. I love that bit where Aragorn confronts him and says, you know, I would have gone with you to the end. It's just, it's so, you, you just know what's at stake here. And you always, the, the, I think my favorite thing about this franchise is that you constantly feel the stakes. You understand what is over and over happen if this doesn't work. Yeah. It gets so close. It's yeah. I, ah, beautiful. And the, and, and, and the follow-up to that is like, you, you're, you're left in a, you're in a really dark place, but you get, you get a moment where Aragorn looks at Legolas and Gimli and says, let's hunt some work. Are you fucking kidding me? Like as a kid, when you hear that, like right now, I'm not I'm 26 years old. I just get chills running up and down my body because I'm like, are you fucking serious? I want to see a movie where that's all that happens is I'm just watching <laughs> and Two Towers flirts with it. It really does. It shows it shows them. It holds true to its, to its promises. It holds true. And of course, Ganoff comes back, Ganoff the White, and it 
just beautiful stuff. Um, I, yeah, I love the last 30 minutes of fellowship more than most things. (laughs) (laughs) It's yeah, it's, it's a wild film. Uh, so your, so your Deacons was the Balrog fight. Yeah. Technically it would be them running from it. And then finally Gandalf facing it that, that, you know, eight to 10 minute bit is, is, is home to me. Yeah. (laughs) Clearly great minds think alike. Cause my, my deacons is, is Moria. The, this just from. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Breaking the the, the door, trapping them there to the death of Gandalf. (coughs) Moria is such, it's a, it's like a a horror movie in the middle of this beautiful drama. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. The, The tease of Saruman, you know, kind of like telling Gandalf, like, you know what they did. You know what they woke in the darkness. Like, you know why you can't go to Moria. Just the buildup to the Balrog is so well done. And the ultimate reveal for Gandalf to be afraid of something, you know that this is, this is, this is something bad. Some ferocious, yeah. Well, and there, there's a shot at one point of them running and there are orcs just, like, yeah. flying in. And it is, it is so badass. It, there's just some shots in Moria the minds of Moria, you know, they're just like you said, it's, a, it becomes like a full on genre film. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah, I just eat that shit up. I love it. Well, when Gandalf finds like the book of, you know, the, the dwarves wrote when they were trapped and it's just, we can't get out. They're coming like that. It gives you chills. Like you're like, what the hell happened here? <laughs> and it's just, it's so creepy. You feel bad for, for Gimli finding his cousin dead and just oh. not knowing that so many of his people were slaughtered. Uh, like that's the fir- that's really the first time you connect with Gimli. Like, yeah, yeah, get to see him as more than just an arrogant dwarf. And yeah, I think they needed Moria to like become close to one another and understand just how fucked this whole thing is. And uh, it's so well done. I I love Moria. It's my favorite part of probably this entire franchise. Yeah, it very well could be just the best part of of this whole thing. Right? Is is just how uh, yeah, uh, just how dark it gets, <laughs> how dark it gets on the screen, and just that yeah, just kind of like you said, the stakes and how much you feel them. Beautiful stuff. Uh, I love it. So, so we, we feel the same way about about the just kind of kind of the finale of Fellowship that it, it's it's the best part yeah. of the movie. Moria is is a cinematic, you know, masterpiece part of a movie inside of a masterpiece itself. So. Uh, shall we move on to the 75th Academy Awards? Keep this thing rolling. This is too much fun. <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. This is obviously just a year later. Uh, Two Towers is, is up for just six. Really, really weird. Uh, and just gets two wins. And it might be like the most entertaining one of the three where it's just jam packed with crazy shit. Uh, maybe Return of the King is. Um, but two two towers is fucking mind blowing, you know. It's got so much cool shit happening. Uh, I, I like the kind of the wheel of the storytelling in this one. Yeah, two towers is great. Um, it sets up, you know, Rohan and Gondor. We get to meet. We go further into the world of men, and yeah, who are you know who are the people who rule this land now? And we get a, and I, you know, a vibe that really like the world's not in great hands right now. Theoden's a king who means well, but is fairly ineffective. And we meet yet another 
representative of, of Gondor and Faramir, who is fairly arrogant and wants nothing more than to prove himself. Yeah. So we get the sense that this world is not in the best hands right now. And Saruman has an opportunity to take this world apart. And I like that the second film focuses on Saruman, kind of leaves Sauron to the side, saves him for the finale, gives us, you know, a kind of a minor bad guy to take on here. who's still a big threat. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's something about two towers that for me keeps it just on the edge of being as awesome as the other two. I still think it's a 10. It's fantastic, but I do like the other two films better. Interesting. Yeah. It would be one, two, three for me. It'd be fellowship, two towers, then return. But yeah, again, I love all three. So it's really, you're just taking nits. Um, Two towers. Uh, We'll we'll go ahead and start from the bottom again, um, which is an Oscar that it did win best visual effects. This time, it beats Spider-Man and Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's a franchise I don't really care for too much, uh, and I would always vote Lord of the Rings over Star Wars any day of the week. You know I'm a massive Star Wars fan. I, too, would vote Lord of the Rings over it every day of the week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What we're, I, I really like uh, Raimi's Spider-Man, right? Of course, that, yeah, that first one. First one is awesome with, with Toby and Willem Dafoe. I, yeah, I really, really dig that movie. But this is, yeah, this is easy. Uh, two Towers, special visual effects. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, it's same thing as Fellowship. <laughs> Attack of the Clones is probably the worst Star Wars movie, too. I, I fucking hate that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, you know, I haven't seen them all enough to say which one I, is my least favorite, but it's not one I remember at all. Um, the ones I remember are Phantom Menace. I have some, some memories of that one. There's some moments in that one. I really like, uh, the old ones. I get confused, you know, episode four, five, and six. I get really confused. Uh, thought rogue one was dope. Uh, and force awakens is pretty, is pretty cool. After that. I don't know, man. I'm just kind of, I get kind of lost on it. It's, there's a lot of, a lot of gray. <laughs> one day we're going to have to just sit down and, f- and figure this out. But beyond that, um, <laughs> yeah, episode two, if you just want to watch a teenage Darth Vader creepily stalk Natalie Portman, who ends up inexplicably falling in love with him, like on a dime, that's your movie. Uh, two Towers beats it by a mile. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, what, what, about, what about best film editing? I like this group a lot. Uh, yeah, you got yeah, you got Chicago, which got the win. Uh, Chicago is the big winner. Uh, I got obviously got the best picture win. Uh, beat Gangs of New York, The Hours, Two Towers, and The Pianist. This is a cool group. Yes, indeed. Kind of the, the best of 2002 right there. Yeah, I mean, Gangs of New York is uh, definitely a movie that I think could compete with Two Towers as far as editing goes. But then if you just look at those two films, I Two Towers just doesn't have anything that makes it falter. And Gangs of New York has like a storyline that I just don't really care for. And, you know, it's, it's kind of just at a disadvantage by, at that point, because when that's part of your whole movie and you have to edit that content, you know, that's, just, that's not really your fault, but <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of uh, Cameron Diaz's performance in that movie or well, that character. 
just not not really for me. Pretty pointless, actually. Uh, that move, Gangs of New York, as much as I love it, it it could shave a good forty five minutes off that runtime. Like, it is padded. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, while you have Daniel Day Lewis, like one of his best, you know, four or five performances ever. <laughs> it is it is a special special movie. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I yeah I, I think uh, Chicago is cool and all, but I, I, we we obviously agree that these kind of technical awards, just two towers, should take it. What I don't understand here is, uh, well, as we move up move up the the categories, and before we move on to one that uh, before we move on to art direction, which Lord of the Rings is there, how how. How are we not here in cinematography with Andrew Lesney, who we were just talking about, who got the win? Got the win for Fellowship of the Ring, is not even nominated here. Uh, we have The Pianist, Gangs of New York, Far From Heaven, Chicago, and the winner, Road to Perdition. Not arguing with that at all. Conrad Hall, Road to Perdition. I love that movie. Sam Mendes, maybe my favorite movie that he's, that he's directed, right? Yeah. It is awesome. It's just a really cool. And my favorite Tom Hanks role. I'm okay with that win. I just don't understand how Lesney's not even here. Uh, the mix makes very little sense to me. It is odd how Two Towers did not really get a lot of love at the Oscars, like considering Fellowship and Return of the King broke fucking records. It's yes. weird that Two Towers kind of got shafted a little bit. Yeah, it's so bizarre. But it's there. It's there for art direction. Uh, Road to Perdition again, Gangs of New York, Frida, and the winner, Chicago. Um. I kind of understand this one. Chicago is kind of, that's kind of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the musical numbers, it's very, you know, it's art. There are, that film's art directed for the inch of its life. Uh, yeah. I get that. However, I really think this one should have gone to gangs in New York. I would, that's fair. Considering, you know, that film recreated 19 or 1880s, 1860s, New York, like perfectly. And, you know, Bill's, kind of cabaret like there's just so many set pieces in that film that are done so well and yeah i don't know just i think it would have been cool gangs of new york didn't get a single win would have been nice to have one yeah exactly yeah i agree with that um let's see what do we got here uh we're kind of coming down to the end here for lord of the rings uh best sound it was up for yeah uh you got spider-man again road to perdition gangs of new york and the winner chicago uh yeah, I um, I don't know. I don't know about this because, and then you look at sound editing and it won against Minority Report and uh, Road to Perdition. What, what, are we ever going to figure out exactly what these all mean? Best sound editing and best sound? And should we just click on it and see what, see what it says? Best sounding was an Academy Award granted exhibiting the finest. We've done this before, haven't we? Haven't we? Have. We? we have. Yes. And it's basically the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's why at this most recent Oscars, they finally just combine those fuckers into best sound. Yeah, rightly so. Because, yeah, Lord of the Rings takes home one of them and then just gets nominated for one of them. So, yeah, I, I can't explain it. I still think they should have just called it best sound design or something like that. Because best sound, I still think sounds too vague and I will never be okay with that. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Just... <laughs> It, it's it's honestly uncomfortably vague. Uh, <laughs> you know, makes me a little anxious. Um, where where are we at here? I guess we're I guess we're coming down to the very end here, huh? I guess we are. Um, where the hell is Howard Shore? 
for yeah i was i was just thinking where's howard shore and this is not up this isn't even nominated for adapted screenplay what? <laughs> so I, we're, we're already we're jumping straight up to best picture <laughs> it's not even up peter jackson's not even up for best director and roman polanski's ass gets a win that fuck are you kidding me i didn't i i don't think i realized that peter jackson just wasn't up i didn't i didn't quite realize that when we have the inevitable best picture showdown for chicago we're gonna have to talk about all this <laughs> yeah no kidding um Pianist is a fine movie, good movie. I like it a lot. I love Adrian Brody's performance in it. I'm totally fine with him winning that. Um, while I love Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, and I love what Nicky Cage is doing in Adaptation, Adrian Brody's really good in that movie. But to give Roman Polanski <laughs> an individual award is so fucking dumb. And Peter Jackson should have his spot, and then they should have given this to somebody else. I love, under on IMDb, under... Roman Polanski's best director win the excuse for why he was not at the Oscars floors me every time I read this Roman mm. Polanski was not present at the award ceremony being a fugitive from U.S. justice since fleeing the country in 1978 presenter Harrison Ford accepted the award on his behalf <laughs> like the fuck <laughs> just the fact that for uh, I know this isn't the time because we got a lot to cover here but it's every time it just I can't fucking believe how long this guy was able to work in Hollywood. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> and it sucks seeing. Yeah, it sucks. I, I, I've seen that. Harrison Ford is trying to, like, play it cool. And, you know, of course, he's in Frantic. We, we like Frantic. Yeah. We like the uh, work. We like the work. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pianist is cool. It's fine. It's fine. fine to award people, other people who are involved in it, I guess. But, yeah, the dude just shouldn't have been working for a long time. <laughs> So it's yeah, it's just silly, especially when Peter Jackson's not there. Makes that's the stuff that irks me about the Academy. Now, Two Towers does get the Best Picture nomination, uh, and here's movies we've been seeing this entire time: uh, The Pianist, The Hours, Gangs of New York, and The Winner, Chicago. Uh, seen all these movies. I love one of them. I respect Gangs of New York and The Pianist. The Hours, eh, not really for me. And Chicago is fine, but Two Towers is the clear winner out of those five. I haven't seen The Hours. Uh, and as much as I love Two Towers, I would have been okay with a Gangs of New York Best Picture win. But yeah, I would Two too. Towers would just, you know, would be awesome too. Uh, Chicago, just I don't know. Hollywood's always had a fucking hard-on for musicals. And I just, I, I will never get, I like musicals. I don't think they're, you know, God's gift to cinematic achievement. I just I don't understand it. Yeah, and I, I think Chicago would be the first musical to win for a long time. I want to say Oliver, that, late sixties, because there's nothing in the seventies. No musicals in the seventies. No musicals in the eighties. None in the nineties. Yeah, so this is the first. Yeah, this is the first musical to win in like thirty years. And I like that. <laughs> I like when there's a 30 year gap. So hopefully we're on a 30 year gap again. Uh, cause, cause I, uh, musicals are fine and they can be, they can be very impactful and they can be really entertaining, but there is never a time when I think that it is the most impactful film of the year. Yeah. It's very rare that, that, that could happen. Uh, there's, there's, 
plenty of I, I own Chicago. I like Chicago. I just yeah, me too. It's not it's not a best picture type of thing for me. Uh, and that, but that's that's why we do the show. That's why we have fun with it. We love this kind of context and kind of looking at it. Uh, two towers, just just two wins on six nominations. So let's go ahead and get our get our awards out here because two towers, I guess, is the underrated one out of the bunch. Uh, as as time has. <laughs> has moved on i feel like i hear a lot of people talk about this one specifically because of you know helm's deep right yeah it's it's kind of the iconic there's there's so many iconic little moments in in in, in two towers I, f- I feel like a lot of people talk about that one but as it as it seems to be with the oscars it's the one that kind of kind of got slapped in the face a little bit <laughs> I remember when Game of Thrones season eight was airing and everyone was still excited about it. Uh, there was like the third episode, I think it was, or the fourth, The Long Night, the one where the, the, uh, the I don't even remember fucking anything about that. I was obsessed with that show for years and now I'm, it's all gone. Yeah, <laughs> the, unfortunate. Uh, the White Walkers, there we go, attack Winterfell. I can't believe I'm. T- I feel like I haven't talked about this shit in a long time. The yeah, I know. Yeah, right on my tongue. You know what I mean? <laughs> but the battle was so dark. Like it was filmed at. You know, it was. A, it was a. It took place at night, so you could barely see anything. And that was like HBO's defense was like, well, it was filmed at night. You weren't supposed to see anything, and everyone turned to two towers. Like Helm's Deep was at night. You could see everything. So what's yeah. the excuse? And I remember that comparison, and I'm like, you can't compare. You know, a no. beautiful masterpiece to what now I equate to like, you know, a doodle on the back of a napkin at a McDonald's. So no, there's no, there's no contest here. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I don't think, I don't think there's anything in Thrones, no matter how much money was thrown into it, no matter what advantages they had tech, technical, you know, technology wise, there is nothing that comes close to Helm's Deep and Game of Thrones. Nothing. Imagine that, if at the beginning of Return of the King, like Gimli just killed Sauron, like with no cinematic effort whatsoever. And then at the end, Gandalf went insane and started murdering hobbits. Because <laughs> that's that's basically what happened. You find out Frodo didn't matter to the story whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Frodo's <laughs> just going to walk off. Yeah. Aragorn's not crowned king. Legolas is for some fucking reason. <laughs> Oh man, I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about something we like. What's your what's your what's your Tarantino for for uh, two towers? <laughs> um, mine comes uh, from some voiceover towards the beginning uh, mm. from Saruman uh, speaking to Sauron through his Palantir and their plans to dominate Middle Earth. And Sar- Saruman says, "The world is changing." Who now has the strength to stand against the armies of Isengard and Mordor, to stand against the might of Sauron and Saruman and the union of the two towers? Together, my lord Sauron, we shall rule this Middle Earth. Brilliant. Really sets, that's the stage for some dark shit. And then, yeah. I have another one that's just like a little one off insult that I always thought was funny. It's when Gandalf goes to uh, see Theoden realizes that Theoden is under Saruman's power and says to him, the courtesy of your hall is somewhat lessened of late Theoden King. <laughs> like, I just, 
I love to, you know, Gandalf's the only one with the balls to just like, you know, verbally bitch slap a king. And I love that. <laughs> oh, man. That is, that's brilliant. <laughs> uh, I, I thought a lot about there's, there's a lot of little ones like that, little quick stuff that, that kind of cracks me up. But then I kind of went back to my, my gut on, the t- on this Tarantino. Uh, and it's a piece of dialogue that's very popular and has just kind of stuck with me uh, since I was a kid. And it's when Frodo, you know, says, I can't do this, Sam, right? You know, he's like, what are we holding on to? And Sam simply says that, that, that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Mm. Ah, and how silly it is that I have to remind myself of that, you know, uh, that people have to remind themselves of that every day. And Sam, Sean Aston, God bless you. Sam Wise Gamgee the entire time is there to, there to fucking pat us on the back. He, he reminds us that there's, there, there is a, a point in taking the next step. And I, I love his character. You know, I love his, I love Sean Aston's performance. I couldn't believe some of these actors i couldn't believe that when i found out where they're from couldn't believe it and sean's one of those guys for sure uh i love his i love his delivery on those we talked about ian mckellen and elijah wood elijah wood and sean astin jesus christ (laughs) he's this is like you and i you know these are just people just dudes just going about you know just trying trying to do something way way bigger than them and Sam, Sam understands that. He understands that it takes, you know, right foot, left foot. It takes just keep moving to, to take down something big. You got, you got to keep moving. And I love that about him. Sam's the real hero of this story. He's the one who gets Frodo to Mount Doom. He's the one who, you know, doesn't fall to the power of the ring. He's like one of the few characters who stands up to it. And that takes incredible resilience. You know, when Frodo's, you know, almost dead from this incredible burden. Sam has Frodo on his back, carrying um, carrying him up the side of Mount Doom. And it's, it's beautiful. In the end, you know, he, he saves his friend from, like, like Frodo's thinking of jumping. And Sam's like, don't do it. Don't, do not do it. Like, he needs Sam. And it's, there's so many moments in this franchise where you're reminded of the fact that Frodo absolutely cannot do this alone and he never would have been able to do it without Sam. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful stuff. Ah, <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, I'm excited to talk about Howard Shore again. He may have not been nominated, but but we'll talk about him. <laughs> the the Inyo, um, which which part of this movie stuck out to you uh, as far as the score? I have some some bangers from this soundtrack. I love. Uh, yeah, I had to really narrow it down. Like the King of the Golden Hall is one of my favorite scores. The, the music of Rohan is so majestic, but sad at the same time. Uh, even Star, when Aragorn is, you know, think, oh, when uh, man. mourning her possible loss of Aragorn in the future. But my all-time favorite is a, it's a little bit. It's, on, it's only on the extended version of the soundtrack. It's not on the official soundtrack. It's called Last March of the Ents. Oh, dude, good pick. Good and pick. It's after Treebeard realizes the full gravity of Saruman's crimes against nature and pulls the Ents together to what essentially they think is their, their demise to take on Isengard. 
And the music that plays is so mournful, but so powerful. And, you know, what follows is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. To see the trees themselves walking to Isengard to fuck shit up is always so warm to me. (laughs) Tree? I am no tree. I am an ant. Weird, but but it, it it pays off. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that whole bit of them when Merry and Pippin run into yeah, run into the forest and all of that stuff is so cool. And, and not to mention, I almost gave my Tarantino to to those orcs. Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. Oh, that's so free. Ah, why can't we have some meat? <laughs> Yeah. What about them? They're fresh. Yeah. God, I love that. I love that bit. It's so funny. You're like, these guys are talking like they're at Wendy's, these fucking orcs, you know? <laughs> oh God. So good. And then, and then that's when you, that's how you get tree beard is these guys start fighting and eating each other. <laughs> Mary and Pippin are like, we're getting the fuck out of here. Uh, God, man. I love every, the fucking ants i love the orcs i love i love the elves i love the men in this movie you know the, all the people from rohan and gondor just jesus it's <laughs> so cool um and speaking of the orcs my inyo goes to the the classic classic urkai uh, score here where we 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 just get the stuff we've heard in the first movie you hear it in two towers and you hear it in return of the king just kind of the iconic Dun, dun 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 and you just you feel those drums beating your chest you know and you know you know you know uh action's coming and that's one of my favorite kind of signals in in this trilogy is when you know some shit's about to go down and i had to choose that at some point in one of these three uh that that is an iconic iconic you know piece of score right there from howard shore perfect yeah, that's epic. I love the Urukai theme. Kind of <sighs> Powermon's theme almost. Yeah, yeah. It actually has throughout each score, it's kind of named differently. Sometimes like at one point it has Isengard in it, and then it has Saruman, and then it's just different, which is really cool that this score kind of bleeds together. There's sometimes where a four-minute piece will have it has a lot of hope in the score, and then it just goes straight to something really evil. And I, I love that. I love when a score bleeds and makes you kind of forget where you're at. You're just, you're just thinking about the movie. Yeah. That just sure does that constantly. You know, I, I love when he does that to the Nazgul theme from the first film and turns that into the uh, Kings theme with a yeah, lot more exactly. depth into it. Like just exactly. Perfect. The guy was, the guy is an artist. I know. Oh. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> oh man. Uh, the PSH. The Philip Seymour Hoffman. You talked about how this took you hours. Where where, where are you at in Two Towers? Because th- this is actually this is this one was the easiest for me of the three to pick. I I went with uh, I was considering Bernard Hill as uh, Theoden. Um, I had yeah. David Wenham as Faramir. I had him, but I had to go again with my gut, and I do think that this is Viggo Mortensen's finest hour as Aragorn. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> We'll show them no mercy. (laughs) Helms deep and just, you know, the the uncertainty before the battle where they're, when he's talking Elvish with Legolas and he just screams, then I will die as one of them. 
Like you really feel that Aragorn is willing to do anything for these people, but you don't really, you know, he has no connection to them beyond that they're innocent. And he, he's a protector of the innocent. That's pretty much what he's always been. And he has, a, you know, Aragorn suffers a lot of defeats in the two towers, but he never lets it tear him down. And you really get the vibe that this is a man who would make a great king. And then in Return of the King, he has that opportunity to accept that fate. But we need him to kind of be broken and rebuilt in this film. And I love it. Yeah, I, I went with Vigo. I love it. Uh, I went with my boy Andy Serkis. <laughs> Gollum. Yeah. Andy is a guy who won't ever get his get get his uh, his respect, the the stuff he deserves. Yeah, and that sucks because he's you know doing things that are very unconventional. Gollum still holds up today, really, yeah. really, really well. And he does really cool stuff in all three movies. You know, of course, in the first one, we don't really get to know him at all, right? We just kind of hear things about him. But that that image of him screaming, you know, Shbaggins, yeah. Shia, <laughs> it's one of the best touches of fellowship. And then when, of course, in Two Towers, when you, you, he becomes their guide for Sam and, and Frodo, he just he just takes over the movie. And I... When I was watching, I was like, oh, my God, he's taking the PSH. <laughs> Andy, Andy Circus. this is what we live for. When we're watching a, a, a by definition, character actor, stunt man, you know, this just kind of jack of all trades, playing this, you know, two-faced, literally double-sided, good, bad character that has some of the most interesting history with the ring and then not having it. Uh, and he is, is playing a mind game with both Frodo and Sam. And it's one of my, one of my favorite storylines of the movie is, is them three just kind of walking together and how odd that is on paper, you know, two hot, two hobbits and fucking Schmeagol Gollum, this, this monster, this creature of the mountains, you know, and circus is, Ev- literally everywhere you know <laughs> it's it's a very very cool performance and i think there's an argument to be made that he could win it in return of the king as well <laughs> yeah he was definitely on my radar uh andy circus is a phenomenal character actor i've every role yeah. i've seen him in he's been phenomenal i've you know Gollum, caesar king kong like the dude just i'm excited to see him play alfred of all people and uh, what's his name in what's his name in um uh klaus klaus what well, i don't know mcu what's his name ulysses claw yeah claw jeez yeah. he is so cool in black panther his little his bits in black panther are so fucking awesome he's everything i see him do and yeah i, I love how he does with peter jackson does king kong I, so cool yeah i'm i'm a i'm a huge fan and it all really kind of started here where he kind of found his calling with the whole, with the mocap thing uh-huh. and done incredible work with that since really changed the game. Like nobody was doing that until they figured it out for two towers. And then it just went, you know, it went everywhere. So yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thank, thank you, Andy circus. Yeah. And, and I, no one's done it better. So yeah. 
Straight he's up. still he's the king of of that kind of that kind of craft. Absolutely. I mean, I want you know, I I think the closest he'll ever get is some kind of like lifetime achievement award. But I don't I don't think he'll ever get a nomination for yeah for he fucking should he should have won for Caesar <laughs> for the apes movies. Like that was a committed fucking performance. I know, dude. Good lord. Those those movies have some just just kind of defying see you know moments and scenes that i that i still think about today yeah great up beautiful beautiful i i love it vigo you're you're very you're very right uh his ride while he's amazing in all three movies i love that you can kind of pinpoint you know in fellowship he's kind of you know oh shit i gotta i gotta grow up <laughs> rebel in fellowship yeah he's rebel yeah <laughs> yeah and then two towers he really has like a reckoning of just how much is on his shoulders. And then of course, in the third one, he, he thrives. Uh, so dope. It's earned. It's just like totally earned and not given with, uh, with Aragorn. Very cool. <laughs> you almost forget that like Vigo was like the last minute casting decision that like they went with somebody else who bailed and they called Vigo. Like, can you make it to New Zealand? And he's like, yeah. And here we go. Thank he had, like no God. time to prep this thing. His son convinced him like, dude, you, dad, you got to do this. <laughs> God, incredible. Like, you're going to play the king. You got to do this. (laughs) So neat. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. And I I still love him today. I think he makes tremendous decisions as as an actor. And I love love so many of his performances. And uh, even in something, even like when a movie like Green Book that I don't love, he is so goddamn good in it. You know, Captain Fantastic. I, I adore that. He's still, he's still got it. Oh, straight up. Yeah. What is he? Three nominations deep now? Yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah. I hope he'll get one someday. That'd be that'd be that'd be really, really cool. Uh, I think it's all about it's all about timing, right? Each year, you know, you just never know what competition's gonna be up against you. <laughs> Damn straight. But uh this this uh this Deacons was very easy for me. Uh, I don't I don't know where you're at, but it, it was easy for me. <laughs> was not. For me, um, I had to really wrestle with this one. Okay, I you know I love the Battle of Helm's Deep, but I think the Battle of Minas Tirith eclipses it. So hell yeah, I had to I had to say no to Helm's Deep. Uh, I went with a scene that shows off the true might of Gandalf the White. Mm. And it is the exorcism of King. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just showing up at Theoden's castle. And, you know, in the dark cloak, tricking everybody into thinking he's still Gandalf the Grey. You know, Theoden's under Sauron's control. Why should I welcome you? Just this whole, you know, thing. And then Gandalf tries to release him and you hear Saruman laughing and the cloak comes off and the full power of a white wizard is released upon Theoden. And you just feel this, this like, you knew he was powerful, but you didn't see just how powerful Gandalf the White was. And just the, the effortless way he blasts Saruman out of Theoden's head is so badass. And then to see Theoden just de-age and become himself again, it's it's great. Yeah. Beautiful. And his, fa- his family members are there. And of course, Grima. I love when Grima just gets thrown out like he's fucking Adam Sandler and Happy Gilmore. It's like, just get your ass out of here. <laughs> I love when he's like, tries to leave and Gimli like holds on to him like where do you think you're going <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah it was it was great 
the, but letting him go was a huge fucking mistake. Like he knew uh, um, yeah. weaknesses. Like this was a, like this guy needed to either go in the dungeon or be executed right there. Yeah. Straight up, straight up. I totally agree. That moment is beautiful. Cause then of course we get Theoden, you know, who is one of the coolest characters of the whole goddamn trilogy and says, we spoke about how they're saying crazy nonsensical stuff. He says some of the most ridiculous, silly shit that just, he, he nails it. And I believe every word he's saying, let this be the day where we cross swords together. Yeah. That shit is crazy. Yeah. I love it, man. I, I, <laughs> I love Theoden. Cause he, yeah, he's one of the guys that, makes you believe that somehow this could all be real. <laughs> Do you consider Theoden to be an effective king? Mm, not really. No. Uh, I think he's a, I think he's an okay leader as far as just like a, a guy who kind of inspires you. Yeah. But, but no, as far as strategy and decision-making, I, I think he has to be put in his place a few times. Yeah. He does. You think Eowyn's going to, going to do better? Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. I don't, I don't think it's that difficult to surpass his skills. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love how a couple times Aragorn's like, dog, <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> well, and Theoden has to clap back with like, last I checked, Theoden is king of Rohan, not Aragorn. <laughs> like, fuck, dude, he's just trying to help. <laughs> so good. So good. I love it. Uh, I think there's plenty of stuff in two towers that you could point to as holy shit you know look at this and and um i i just can't get cute here uh helms deep is <laughs> yeah helms deep gonna helms deep it's uh <laughs> one of my favorite things ever in movies is when you have all these kind of all these these men and you know when you have the elves come in and that's that's fucking cool as shit yeah, that's great. <laughs> they're they're just in formation, ready to fucking go. And you have, you know, all oh, elves and men fought ages ago. You know, we're here to honor that allegiance. And you're just like, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> Aragorn breaks decorum and just hugs Haldir because he's so happy yeah. to see reinforcements. Yeah, yeah hell yeah. Cause he because he's like, look, Grima and Saruman are like, yeah, we got, you know, at, at one point it really, it really does look like some of the video we've seen of fucking hitler where he's got just thousands of orcs and he's speaking to them from this tower it is it is so scary you know and you march to helms deep you know and like destroy just kill everything in your path leave none alive yeah so cool you know it's so cool and they do they just they just start marching yeah and and you you see them you see them coming when they line up and it's just it's just go time. It is the most go time moment of the whole trilogy where it's like, oh fuck, there are this is army versus army. You know, this isn't uh this isn't uh Mines of Moria where it's just just a few people running. You know, this is this is army versus army. And it, they pull it off, they pull it off. It's beautiful. How there's how deer dying and Aragorn just you know goes slow-mo, gets gets a little cheesy there for a minute, but you're just it doesn't matter because you're so you're soaking it all in and you got Gimli and Legless going back and forth, trying to get all these kills. And when Gimli is like, yes, there's ladders, you know, <laughs> finally let's get them, get them here. I want to fucking fight. You know, every touch is just on point. It's just, it's totally on point with Helm's deep. And I, I, I adore it. Uh, 
there are a lot of moments though from this movie. I thought a lot about that Theoden scene when he comes to and the spell, you know, the spell is gone, you know, that is a brilliant moment for Gandalf and a brilliant moment for the whole world, you know, this whole for middle earth. And this two towers delivers, man. It's, it's badass. Yeah. Straight up. Uh, The whole, you know, the ends taking on Isengard. That was one of my, uh, Oh man. Yeah. The river just, it's yeah. It's awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome stuff. Yeah. And there's some combat stuff. Legolas just looks like a total badass half the time. You know, he's just doing crazy shit, swinging around horses and fucking, you know, his, his set of skills are so much fun to watch, especially in two towers. Uh, He's doing, doing really, really cool shit. Uh, I mean, I love personally, I love when uh, Sam and Frodo and Gollum are are at the gate and they fucking Frodo covers him with his cloak, you know? That shit is so cool. Those little touches are really, that's why the movie moves the way it does is it nails those in-between scenes just like it nails Helm's Deep. I love the the little moments you get with Gollum talking to Smeagol, like having a little conversation oh. with himself where you kind of think like Smeagol might win this fight. He might overcome, you know, the evil inside of him. Like maybe he does want to change. Maybe he does want to be, you know, relatively normal again. But then, you know... Did he ever have a chance? <laughs> I don't think he did. No. <laughs> he that bit where he's like, you know, Smeagol is free, but that was just the ring biding his time, waiting to break him again. Yeah, straight up. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Uh, that shit is so cool. And uh, again, his characters age so well. Like, you know, when he's saying, we want set, you know, all the, all, I mean, speaking collectively it's just so so fucking fascinating and then uh elijah wood and uh sean astin's ability to 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 act with that is 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 pretty fascinating well like uh andy circus was on set in like a mocap suit doing yeah can you can you imagine if you and i were with him and we had like we got to take this guy seriously (laughs) look at the shit he's wearing you know (laughs) he's covered in like little ping pong balls he's got a blue suit and he's speaking like you know his voice super cracked i I don't know if i could do it no yeah and you got to argue with him about bread yeah like i i couldn't there's no way i could do it no way oh man love two towers love it so much uh we could be here all night and we we got we got we still got to talk about the third movie here we got to talk about return of the king oh yeah which we mentioned earlier at, at the 76th academy awards it it goes 11 for 11. <laughs> Clean, sweep, beautiful. Oh, so sweet. What, what sucks is there's still not that, you know, performance nomination here for Return of the King. So you're telling me 11 nominations and 11 wins, but we can't get one performance. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. But everything we talk about here, Lord of the Rings won. So we'll just go to the bottom and kind of work our way up as we have been uh best visual effects best film editing best costume design best makeup <laughs> all these are at the very bottom of the categories here uh and it, it won all of those <laughs> and, and and rightly so yeah straight up i don't see any like worthy competition here yeah i i um i actually rewatched not too long ago uh master commander i i really liked it and it has something to say about costume design, but not in the same year as Return of the King. 
Uh, and same thing for visual effects, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, awesome, but not when you're competing against Return of the King. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. See ya. I, I do love that City of God got a Best Film Editing uh, nomination. That movie it kicks so much ass and has so many cool tricks with the camera. And I, I, w- I would love to revisit that and maybe do it on the show one day. I don't usually get to say this with a lot of foreign films, but I have seen City of God and it was really good. Yeah, it's yeah, it's awesome as shit. Yeah, I love that one. Uh, Lord of the Rings, best art direction. Um, I mean, really, Seabiscuit? Are we really comparing Seabiscuit to Return of the King here? Uh, this is tough. These movies don't have any chance. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, Seabiscuit's good, but you know, it's 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 nowhere near. I I, I thought The Last Samurai was very good. Had a you know, any other year probably would have had a decent chance at art direction and i really do need to see master and commander i have i've never seen that you yeah you would like that like yeah like best sound mixing sea biscuit parts of the caribbean master commander last samurai good movies good movies but it's very obvious there's there's not this is how we feel about all three movies there's just not really competition per se when it comes to the technical aspect of of this trilogy no you know uh like what i'm trying i'm trying to think like you know Ivan Drago is a good boxer, but no one's beaten the Italian stallion. <laughs> yeah. That's what it, yeah, I don't know. That was stupid, but I, I stand by it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. It's, <laughs> it's just kind of like, well, yeah, this is what we're, this is the home team. That's what we're rooting for. <laughs> it just makes sense. Uh, sure. Best original score. Finally, here we are. Yes. Uh, I do want to look at this one because there are some cool people here. Some people we both really, really like. Uh, Danny Elfman ah. for, big, for Big Fish. Thomas Newman, come on, for Finding Nemo. Uh, and then you have James Horner for House of Sand and Fog. And then uh, Gabriel Yared for Cold Mountain. Uh, now, I'm speaking about Thomas Newman and Danny Elfman, of course. These are guys we have talked about on other podcasts. And Thomas Newman's come up on this one, but Danny Elfman, I know, came up on, on Filmgasm. It, these guys are legends and I love seeing them here but all along Howard Shore just deserved to get to get a win here all along straight up and I do want to say I am a I am a very big fan of James Horner as well okay I I, I kind of figured you were um movie what, what music ones, is my shit what are the ones that jump out for, for from his work Horner has done two of my favorite film scores of all time Braveheart and the Mask of Zorro there you go. Okay, I figured Zora was on there. I didn't know you were a big uh, Braveheart. We've talked about that before. I, not not really into Braveheart, but it's the music like, is good. It's like your your mind will not accept that I am a big fan of Braveheart because like every time you're always surprised. Like really? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> like you're blocking it subconsciously. <laughs> I like the Mask of Zora. I like Zora. I, Braveheart. I think it's mostly because it won Best Picture, and that just doesn't settle right with me. See, I, I think it's one of the few films in history that des- deserved that win wholeheartedly. Uh, in the 90s, is that is that the Sounds of Lambs? Is that a more of a win to you? Or, well, or I'm, I'm saying like of 95, like I love Braveheart to death and it, it deserved the win that year. I think Toy Story is better than it. <clears throat> but it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're playing that game, I... Yeah, the 95 group is not my favorite, but there are some amazing movies from that year. 
Plus, I, I love doing. Of, I love doing that though. I have a lot of good memories attached to Braveheart. I watched it at a college party, and we spent the whole time mocking everyone's Scottish accent. It was a great night, and then we got really into it and got really sad. But it was a <laughs> that was a good night. Yeah, Braveheart's been a favorite of mine for years. I was talking about it earlier today. <laughs> for some that's reason. fantastic. <laughs> a lot of help you would be, laddie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but James Horner, have you seen House of Sand and Fog? Do you like that one? I have not seen House of Sand and Fog. Yeah, neither neither have I. I've heard I've heard heard mixed things. Um, I do like Jennifer Connelly and Ben Kingsley, so I'll check it out one day. Uh, Cold Mountain, not for me. But Finding Nemo, score, awesome stuff. Yeah, and then Big Fish. I everything Danny Elfman does is is awesome. But yeah, again, Howard Shore. This was his all along through the three movies, and I can't wait to talk about him again for our annual. <laughs> Big Fish is one of the few Burton films I have not yet seen. Yeah, you. I think you'll. I think you dig it. Yeah, I got to get on that. <laughs> uh, well, we complained quite a bit about adapted screenplay uh, that it wasn't nominated for two towers. Here we are making up for it. Uh, it beat uh, Return of the King, beat American Splendor, City of God, Mystic River, and Sea Biscuit. It's a cool group. Yeah, that is a neat group. I like, I like, I like city of God a lot. I'm big, big mystic river fan. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it compares to return of the King as far as a story, but I re- obviously really like the, the performances in mystic river. And so did the Academy. Uh, you know, you got Marsha Gay Harden who's nominated and Tim Robbins and Sean Penn both getting the win. So yeah, the, the movie kicks ass. Yeah. That's a, that probably my second favorite from this group. I have not seen American splendor. Uh, Neither have I, neither have I. I've heard good things though. Yeah, I, Paul Giamatti is a guy that I don't know enough about. Haven't seen enough of his performances, but I always hear from you know real big movie people, you know, cinephiles that he's just you know he's he kind of knocks it out of the park every time. For, for, from my perspective, it's true. Uh, one one of my favorite performances when I was a kid was what he does in Cinderella Man. Yeah. When I was younger, when I was younger, I was like, this must be acting, you know, because yeah. <laughs> Paul Giamatti's just fucking going for it uh, in that in that one. I fucking loved him in Straight Outta Compton as Jerry Heller. Yeah. Just a Good sleazy call. record producer who fucked over NWA. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Perfect. Yeah. Giamatti's a, a, one of my favorite character actors. I'm always happy to see him on screen. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll definitely have to check that one out someday, man. American Splendor. Uh but it probably wouldn't change our mind about Return of the King winning this. No. <laughs> uh, without, without getting any performance nominations or wins, uh, we move straight up to Best Director, Best Picture. Peter Jackson wins yeah. Uh, against, uh, yeah, against Fernando Mireles for City of God, Sofia Coppola, hell yeah, for Lost in Translation, Peter Weir for Master Commander, and Clint Eastwood for Mr. River. Uh, cool group. Really, really cool group. Yeah, I didn't realize fact, Master Commander was a Peter Weir film. Now it's it's moved higher up on my list. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. You, you're. I think you'll. I, I think I'm underselling how much you'll enjoy that. Uh, but Lost in Translation, really cool to see Sophia get a shout here. Uh, it'd be cool if she could win at some point, just because she's kind of been in the you know Hollywood subconscious for a long time now, you know, and has been a, been kind of a part of a part of a generation of, of writers and directors that are very talented. She's, she's one of the, one of the best. 
I have not yet seen Lost in Translation. I almost watched it like a month ago, but I didn't. And sorry. No, you're all good. One day we're going to do uh, a 2003 show of some sort where we'll knock a bunch of these movies out. So, uh, I, I, again, it wouldn't change your mind about Peter Jackson, especially after Peter Jackson got, got snubbed the year before. Uh, you got to give him the win here. Yeah. You know, he should have walked away. He should have three directing Oscars for these movies. Uh, I'll stand by that. But I'm glad he won for, for Return of the King. I'm glad that Return of the King took everything that it was nominated for. That's yeah. so, like, so few films in history have sweeped it. I'm so glad that Lord of the Rings is one of those films. Yeah, same. You know, it's in that territory of Ben-Hur, 1959, and Titanic, 1997. It's just, that's just crazy. You know, it's in kind of an upper echelon of Oscar winning movies. Very, very cool. Uh, the best picture group. There's just, there's zero competition. <laughs> Seabiscuit, Mystic River, Master and Commander and Lost in Translation. I like all of those movies and I really like uh, Lost in Translation, but this is, this is like just silly. This is not even a race. It's not even, there's nothing, there's nothing here. There's no argument, you know? And at least, at least there's other stuff in 2001, 2002 that I think you can maybe light a candle, but here there's nothing. Yeah, it's a chance for Faramir, captain of Gondor, to show his quality. <laughs> beautiful. Is, uh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful stuff, man. Oh, well, I, I think the time has come to talk about our awards for this dominant 11 Oscar <laughs> Oscar winning movie from the 76th Academy Awards. Yeah. This is the one that allows us to do this episode for episode 50 because it got the best picture win. Uh, episode 55, we'll go back to normal best picture showdowns, but this has been so much fun, man. And I'm excited to finish this off with uh, awards for Return of the King, your favorite of the trilogy. Damn Skippy. Yeah, this movie is special to me in so many ways. I love a good finale. And this is, you know, it's a hell of a finale. It's a great ending. Everyone has a good, satisfying conclusion. And, oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. Hell yeah. What's your Tarantino? My Tarantino is a big-ass speech. So Good, good. <laughs> I knew it was coming at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Frodo and Sam are in Mordor. They have, Minas Tirith has been saved, but the war is not won. So the last remnants... <laughs> of Rohan and Gondor assemble at the Black Gate to draw out Sauron's armies and give Frodo and Sam a fighting chance to get to Mount Doom. Everyone's pretty defeated. Everyone thinks they're going to die. So Aragorn steps up, bearing the crest of the White Tree of Gondor upon his armor, strides out in front of the men and, and says, Hold your ground, sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down, but it is not this day. This day we fight by all that you hold dear on this good earth. I bid you stand, men of the West. <laughs> Holy shit. I... Oh my God, every time I freak out. And then he, he turns to the men, surrounded by orcs, turns to them, a tear in his eyes, 
and whispers for Frodo and runs into the fray. Oh my God, every time it just, it wrecks me. Ah, yeah, <laughs> chills, chills, bone chilling stuff. Oh man, <laughs> for Frodo. Oh geez, Aragorn, 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 Aragorn. He, he does this, does this time and time again, but this is his most epic moment. This is the King of Gondor leading his men into battle. That's what that is. Yeah. Proper, properly. Uh, breathtaking stuff. Um, I chose, I chose Gandalf again (laughs) for my Tarantino. Uh, and this is, this, yeah, this is, this is cool stuff. I'm sure, I'm sure you, you connect with this one a a lot. And, uh, this is towards the end, end of the film. Uh, Gandalf says, end. No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we must all take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. Ooh. Quite <laughs> sure. Good, good God. <laughs> you know? Uh, man. Death is just another path. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, some, that's some fucking wizard, otherworldly you know, fucking cool fantasy shit that I, I'll eat up any day. Again, Gandalf is with, while being like awesome and good and just super powerful, he is the, he says and does the most metal shit <laughs> of all this trilogy. He is, he, he is, he is epic. And I, I, I love, I love that, that line. If anybody said that, I would have to choose it. The fact that he says death is just another path. One that we must all take is just so fucking awesome. Well, and then he describes it. He describes what he sees in the next world, and it sounds so peaceful. And the, that coupled with Howard Shore's little bit of score that kind of is the tune of Annie Lennox's Into the West. And I think the score is called The Grey Havens. And it's just... Yeah, yeah. It's so powerful. Like, it makes me want to, you know, somehow organize that I watch this film on my deathbed, so that's the last thing I hear. Like, it's, it's very comforting. Yeah, even, yeah, and he does that. Gandalf does that over and over throughout the trilogy, where he says stuff that he might. And, and what's funny, what's funny is Dumbledore does the same thing in Harry Potter. He might not even believe what he's saying or totally think that it's true, but he's he's saying it because it might get you through the situation. Yeah, it might help yeah, him move on. Yeah, yeah, and I, oh man, who would have thought that Gandalf and Pippin would have this? These, these insanely amazing, you know, moments filled with dialogue that just kind of breaks down how we're all feeling, you know, about what's happened and what's to come. So fucking cool. Uh, I, Ian McKellen is, is, is to me the kind of the winner of this whole thing. Cause he, he just, he, he works so goddamn well with every actor, whether it's Elrond, you know, whether it's, yeah, Hugo Weaving as Elrond or, Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn, he, he's just always on his game and everything he says is fucking awesome. <laughs> so cool. Beautiful. Uh, Beautiful stuff, man. Howard, Howard Shore also could be kind of the winner of this thing. <laughs> I mean, he is the winner for me. I love that. Like if you had an ultimate MVP for the trilogy, 
it'd be Peter Jackson and Howard Shore. <laughs> you don't have this trilogy as memorable and epic as it is if you don't have Howard Shore writing the music for it. Like he elevated this thing to div- like just, you know, ethereal planes that do not exist in film, but he took it there. Like I hold the I hold this franchise in such high regard that I don't even consider them films anymore. Like to me, there is no competition. Like this is just the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> this is its own thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally understand where you're coming from, Howard Shore. Uh, so obviously, the Morricone is, you know, it's going to go to him. I mean, who else takes it? But he does have a little help here. Uh, it's the scene where. Denethor, steward of Gondor, has sent his son Faramir to retake Osgiliath, knowing full well he's not coming back. And he's sitting there eating a big old meal in front of Pippin and asks for a song. Oh, man. The bit of score on the soundtrack is called The Steward of Gondor. And it's Pippin singing this song juxtaposed with what we think is Faramir riding to his death. And it's done so perfectly. It's, it, there's no music. It's all just Billy Boyd's voice. It's isolated. And it is perfection. It is so gorgeously haunting. And, you know, from the air, like, just, it ends with the arrows flying and, like, red tomato juice dripping down Denethor's chin. Like, the blood of those he'd sent to, to, to their deaths. It's so perfectly done. And then Pippin just starts crying. It's, I, it, I couldn't do anything else. It's, that scene is so beautiful to me. <sighs> yeah, I chose I, I chose the same thing. Um, <laughs> and what I'll say, I agree with everything you said. And what, what, the only thing I'll kind of piggyback is that this is this is Pippin. This is the guy who, in the first movie, says, "What about second breakfast?" Yeah. And this is this is a journey that is probably more intense than than anybody aside from you know frodo and sam he he has a moment there where he literally says exactly what i've thought with difficult things in life when he's talking to gandalf and he's like uh i can't remember the exact line but he's like i fear i fear battle and like the battle that is to come or whatever and Gandalf's like, oh, the plunge before the, you know, <laughs> they start saying crazy shit. But Pippin becomes this fully fleshed out character so gracefully over the three movies. And it culminates to that moment, Billy Boyd's moment of when he gets to sing. And yeah. he's got some motherfucking pipes too, you know? It's a, it's a really, really breathtaking moment. It has to take the end, yo. Yeah. Um, I love I love a lot of moments in, in this one and this score specifically in Return of the King. I think there's just a lot like like Shelob's Lair that ah. that piece of the score is fucking sick. And there's a few few moments like that. But but when we're talking about overall in the whole movie, I think this is by far and away the most powerful music moment. That's why it's got to get the Inyo. So I am I'm totally with you on this one. I had another one in there uh, briefly. It's it coupled with my uh, my deacons, so I'll just bring it up then. Okay, I like that. Well, um, 
what's what, what's your PSH? You had you had Sean Bean as Boromir. You had Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn. Now, now, what do you have for Return of the King? So I I I did almost put John Noble as Denethor. Um, there's just something so vile about his character. Yeah, yeah. Authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king, steward. It's so steward. <laughs> and um, I never noticed until like recent viewings that his little throne is in front of the much bigger, loftier throne of Gondor. I never noticed that that was in the background, kind of looming over him at all times. A constant yep. reminder that he is never going to be a king. Anyway, um, <laughs> which is so cool. Yeah, and explains a lot of his character. Yeah. But I had to go with the person who I think delivers the most effective, strongest performance in this film, and it is Andy Serkis. Nice. Okay, good. I wasn't just <laughs> letting that fly. He, is, he was coming. Yeah I, yeah, I think either one in Two Towers or Return of the King or both. Yeah. <laughs> but in this film, you know, we get to see how Smeagol <laughs> became Gollum. Yeah, we see Andy Serkis. Yeah. And it is so instantaneous. Like, it is, you know... Oh my God, I thought you drowned to you're going to give me that or I'm going to kill you for it. It's a second on a dime. Like he is, he turns immediately. There is no resistance to that power whatsoever. It's really freaky. And just knowing that and then seeing, you know, Gollum manipulate the, the events to go in his favor, leading them the back way to Mordor to get, you know, baking the, the bread theft to get Frodo to turn on Sam. And then catch you know Sam, uh, Frodo in the cave and Gollum revealing his true intentions and then ultimately being the one who does destroy the ring it's it's a great arc just in this movie alone but you know coupled with two towers it's fucking perfect you could argue that Gollum is the hero of this story like yeah it is end, like did so essential gain control ever so slightly and fucking jump like maybe I don't know I like to think so yeah yeah it's exactly i like to think about it like to talk about it golem is the most fascinating character of this whole thing i think gandalf is my favorite but golem is like man and that that reward that you get at you know at the end of two towers when he's talking to himself and he's in the woods and at the beginning when you do like you said you see the the him and his brother see the ring and then the the, he just chokes him out and then being nine or 10 and watching these movies and seeing him bite into the fish is one of the gnarliest, nastiest things that you can imagine as a, as a kid, you know, <laughs> one of the, the freakiest bit of the transformation for me is when he's like, he closes his eyes and he opens them and they're different. Yeah. Like, that was oh, so creepy man. to me as a kid. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's extremely frightening. And this is like a guy, this is a, a creature now that is on a, like a, a ride that's worth thousands of years yeah, and has lived with the ring without the ring for thousands of years and then finds his way back to it in a really strange way. It is, it is such a fucking awesome character. And yeah, any circus deserves all the flower, all the flowers for what he's doing. Just when he, what he's doing here, when he leaps on Frodo's back, when he's invisible and fucking bites his finger off, like, and then just like, I love the, the the camera work coming like through the ring to see mm. Gollum like holding it. Like it's so beautiful. It's like, it's a victory. It's played like Gollum won. And he's, yeah. he's like 
nothing else matters in that moment. He got the ring. Like he completely forgets where he is, what he's doing. He's just like, I, I won. I got it back. Yeah. And Frodo's like, you motherfucker. Like, it's just so great. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Andy Serkis is the MVP here. I, I, yeah. No contest. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I chose him again. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, yeah. Andy Serkis wins the PSH twice. Uh, yeah. I wanted to represent more characters, but then when I was digging deep down, I just, I thought Andy Serkis stole the show in both movies. And a lot of the same reasons that you just described. Uh, Vigo is so fucking good in both movies, uh, all three, but specifically two towers and, and return. So I understand why you, why, why we, why you have them there. But uh, yeah, I think while Gollum's not my very favorite character to me, he's the most fascinating, the most well-written and Andy circus is just clearly going for it balls to the wall. And, and I, I love that, that performance. It's weird how, you know, Tolkien wrote the Hobbit first. And I wonder yeah. if when he wrote that, he thought he'd ever have this, you know, that the ring that makes Bilbo invisible would ever be this giant MacGuffin in this larger story involving Gollum and all these characters. Like, do you think he had that planned out or he just was like, I could do more with this? <laughs> <laughs> I love thinking that he thought I can do more with this. That's that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. Love it so much. I could, oh I could go on and on, and I, 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 I really don't even want to get to this last award because that means we're going to have to come to a close. But we've been doing this for two plus hours, so we probably should, <laughs> we probably should find a find a a way to end this thing. And, and what better way than to talk about our favorite scene from Return of the King? What well, what do you got? Because this was this was very difficult. I had so many, uh, you know. Aragorn confronting the king of the dead, clashing swords, and then the dead, like, you know, on the boat, flying into Minas Tirith, like, that always gets me. Uh, yeah. Aragorn, you know, the crowning of the king, Denethor's, you know, self-immolation, and when he jumps off the fucking White Tower, there's so many moments, but I've, I've known what my favorite <coughs> is since, like, you know, for the first time I watched Return of the King. It's been the same, the same one. And it is when... Minas Tirith is overrun by orcs. All is lost, and you hear the horns of Rohan. Theoden mm. King mm. has arrived to aid his brothers. And the speech he gives, you know, death! Like, you just, they all know, like, this is it. Like, they're not coming back from this one. But yeah, it's the right thing to do. They're, you know, this is Rohan's last stand. And the music that plays here, the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, Oh my God. It's the combo. It combines last March of the Ents with the King of the Golden Hall. It's just, it's this beautiful, like last stand music that couples with this scene so beautifully. And it just makes this badass charge. And oh my God, it gives me fucking goosebumps every time I watch it. It's for me the definitive moment of the film. I love that. I love that. I definitely when I was watching that, I, I, it was a kind of a, I had one of those moments where the, the, the chills just go uh, running up and down your body. You just kind of forget how epic that feeling is. And again, Theoden, man, Theoden just selling every line he says. <laughs> so good. Uh, the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I was just kind of 
like I got to stick with my guns because that's what I've been doing with all these awards is really trying to trying to stay true to what stuck out to me and uh, the, the finale of this movie when Aragorn says you bow to no one oh. and the hobbits are all standing and you got these four tiny dudes who have just taken on death and demons and you know two-faced creatures and giant you know giant trolls and everything you can imagine you know out of a nightmare they've they've taken it on and they've defeated it and when aragorn gives them that respect it's like it makes me fucking cry like a baby oh, <laughs> I, I i love when he looks at them like you you guys don't bow to anybody you know and when you see everybody bow to them instead it's just so fucking cool <laughs> I, I, cannot, uh, I cannot watch that scene without bursting into tears it's so yeah. beautiful it's gorgeous and, and talk about the location, the location of that scene is breathtaking and it caps off. You you talked about how this movie sticks the landing. It, it does that. I always expect the third movie to be like the worst in trilogies. Cause I'm like, Oh, surely they've just kind of lost their touch, but no, the touch is still there and the touch is strongest at the end. And so cool. These movies are perfect, man. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite little note, little things I never noticed is that when Frodo and Sam do destroy the ring and they, you know, Mount Doom explodes and they're like on the rocks and Gandalf comes with the eagles. He brought three eagles. He was going to save Gollum too. Yeah. Oh, Ugh. fuck, man. It's oh. <sighs> so tough. So tough to swallow. There's so many great moments. Like when Elrond shows up in Theoden's tent and is like, you know, I have something for you. You must venture into the mountains. And he's like, they're thieves and traitors. They'll answer to no one. And he just goes, they'll answer to the king of Gondor and reveals this epic sword. I'm like, fuck, how do you not get just so excited? Yeah, just get just get amped up for this shit. Yeah, so cool. Oh, man, this is a blast. Yeah. This is This had to be done for episode 50. These films uh, represent everything I love about movies. Like there, this was the perfect 50th episode for this podcast. It's, you know, celebrated by the Oscars and also just this phenomenal story of good versus evil and hope triumphing over damnation. And it's just, it's essential to understanding who we are as movie fans. Like these, these movies are essential to our development as film fans. And I'm glad we were able to you know, shine a spotlight on them for a bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. For, for sure. It was a long time coming. You and I have been very patient with some of our very favorite things <laughs> and have not, have not done them on some of our podcasts. You know, there's some personal favorite horror movies that we haven't touched yet on film because we, we want to do this forever, you know, and yeah. we want to talk about movies and do this podcast as long as we can. And for Oscar Sunday, I, I mean, I want to do it episode one, two, and three you know, fellowship two towers, return of the King, but it, it felt right to kind of let it breathe and, and see, see where, where, you know, this show could take us. And I, I felt very comfortable and kind of, like you said, doing this for doing this for the 50th. Cause I didn't want to wait for a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the original plan. I, I remember that. And, and now, now a hundred, I, I have, I have an idea already. Uh, that'll be like uh, loads, loads of fun. And that, that kind of leads me into, I, I want to speak on something real quick before, before we leave. I know this has been, been forever, but thank you for hanging with us. Uh, the, the kind of direction of this show is going to change slightly. Uh, it won't, 
it won't change totally how a, a, a listener, you know, you're still coming to Oscar Sunday. We're talking Oscar nominated movies, but we want to kind of build a kind of a language for ourselves. That'll make it easier to kind of talk about these and, and dive into the Oscar history. So moving forward, at least for a while, we're going to, we're going to try this out. We're going to try doing uh, five episodes inside of one decade. So for example, episode 51, 52, 53, 54, and 55 are all going to be in the same decade. We won't tell you exactly what the best picture showdown is going to be up until it comes, but you'll know it's in that decade that we've been in the entire time. So next week, we're going to start off by doing Anatomy of a Murder, 1959. So you know we're going to be in the 50s for five episodes. If you don't like the 50s, that's fine. You can, you can go listen to something else. But we really want to dive into a decade, feel out its history, and kind of stay there for a month or so. Uh, we've got a lot of other shows going on around us, you know, sneak preview and filmgasm and, and giggle guys. And we want to, we're always, Connor and I are always trying new things and trying to make it not easier for us, but make more sense for us, uh, creating a language for the listeners so that it, it's a way that we can all learn uh, and grow together because ultimately that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I always feel more challenged when we do stuff before like the 1980s. So I'm yeah, for sure. Spend some, you know, some good quality time, like over a month in this, uh, in the fifties, it's going to be, it's going to be fun, especially since I know what's coming and some of those are some fantastic films I have seen. So this is going to be, yeah. Yeah. Anatomy of a murder is a movie that both of us have a relationship with. Uh, we both own it and are very excited to do it do a proper show on it and give awards out to it. And, and then after that, like you said, we have movies we haven't seen from the fifties and stuff we have seen and stuff that we're really excited to see for ourselves. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to kind of change the, change the format of, of Oscar Sunday a little bit, but at the end of the day, each standalone episode is going to feel the same because we're just talking about movies, giving awards out to movies and kind of seeing, uh, through the context of the Oscars, kind of just talking about Hollywood and the, the art form that we love. Damn straight. Yeah, this is great. Um, on our other shows, uh, it's going to be a horror heavy week. Uh, Hell yeah. Tomorrow's sneak preview uh, will be Caleb and I discussing Spiral, the new Saw movie, as well as the various other, other films that have come out this past weekend. And then on Wednesday, we will be, uh, Josh and I will be doing a filmgasm on the 2004 Dawn of the Dead remake in honor of Zack Snyder's latest zombie movie. So if you like torture porn and zombies, uh, it's going to be a good week for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, this was so much fun. Uh, I'm glad we got to really? Lord of the Rings off the list. And here's to another 50. Yeah, no kidding. We're going to keep, keep this thing rolling. We've almost been doing it for a year. Uh, and we're, we're going to, like you said, challenge ourselves. Uh, we're both in our twenties and we're going to try to watch some old school, old school movies from the fifties. So I'm, I'm, I'm down to buckle up and, and do this thing while we also have the other shows to kind of give us different, you know, different variety, different flavors. And that's what we're, that's what we're all about. Absolutely. Fantastic. Ah, well, you want to, want to sign us off? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank you for listening with us. I, I, I think uh, 
if you're listening, you, you clearly realized how big of fans we are of, of this thing. And so this, this was, this was big for us. It felt like, uh, it felt like legitimately 16 years coming. Uh, <laughs> it really did it really felt like uh, I, I want to share my thoughts about, <laughs> and I could, I, we, I think we could both keep going kind of all night, yeah. uh, that kind of a thing. But you know, at some point, some point we got to go and, and let the people be, cause we got a sneak preview coming tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.